across the UK, online and on DAB. Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Talk Radio. Good evening, sports fans. This is Ian Lee, and you're listening to the Talk Radio Sports Special Special, where we'll be celebrating all manner of activities and physical things. 0344 499 1000. Sports. Late night, Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Friday, and now it's Monday, and we're actually doing it. Good evening, my name is Ian Lee, you're listening to Talk Radio Sports Special Special, where we celebrate and appreciate and stand up and salute whilst doffing our caps at the same time, all things sporty. Now, regular listeners will know... I'm not a particularly sporty person. I'm not particularly physical, and I don't really get sports. So, this evening, Catherine has played an absolute blinder and has lined up some world-class guests who, throughout the evening, are going to try and persuade me 
Um, and you, dear listener, because I know a lot of you are, are, are nerdy, weedy people like myself, that we all need a little bit of sport in our life, whether it's participating or it's spectating or it's buying tickets and going and sitting and watching or watching on the telly or whatever. Now, if you're a big fan of sports, 0344 499 1000, can you, can you phone up and try and pass on some of your enthusiasm for whatever it may be? Because I don't get it. I don't get sports. I can sit, and if snooker's on the telly, I can sort of sit there and watch it. Not so much nowadays. Because, um, well, I don't know any of the snooker players nowadays, apart from Ronnie O'Sullivan. I don't really know the snooker players. The darts, if the darts is on, I can, you know, kind of sit and watch it. I wouldn't sort it out, but I certainly would never watch a football match. Um, I'd never watch, um, you know, the marathon or anything like that. I don't get it. I don't get it. But part of me does think maybe I'm missing out on something. And also, 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 I've got, you know, I've got two boys who are now seven and five. And, they're already expressing interest in sport. They do judo and um, they do football and they, they do rugby. Oh, rugby. Jeez. Um, and I kind of feel that maybe as a dad, I'm not giving them the full range of experiences that perhaps other dads are giving them. I'm giving them different experiences, of course, but maybe I'm missing out a bit. So tonight, dear listener, we're going to have a go at this. It's going to be a sports special. You want in? Good. 0344 499 1000 is the telephone number. So we've got some cracking guests coming up, but let's kick off with a cracking guest. Uh, we were talking about him last week. Ladies and gentlemen, it's only Mr. Eric Hall. G- good evening, Eric. How are you, Bubba? I'm doing very, very well. How are you doing, man? Yeah, long time no speak. You were, um, you were quite poorly a little while ago, weren't you? You, you were yeah. well and good now. A few years ago it was. I was in a coma for about eight weeks. But I'm back fighting fit and stand causing trouble, as usual. <laughs> now, listen, I'm going to talk to you about um, sport and football in a minute, because I know you've got a lot of association with that. But, 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 um, I knew you had a musical past, right? I didn't know you sang with Tiny Tim. Is that right? No. Is that not right? <laughs> oh, I read... Well, the ish, ish. I, I, Phil Wayman, a record producer, also wrote a lot of hits for the group Sweet and things. Yeah, yeah. He was making a record... Called not with about about tiny tiny Tim. Right. It was oh we all love tiny Tim. He's such a funny fella. And he got a bunch of us. I was a plugger in those days, the best plugger in the business. Yeah, yeah. And he got a bunch of his plugging mates to go along to you know do the backing vocals. None of us could really sing. No. So yeah. So, but, you know, that Wikipedia shtick, <laughs> as you know, always get a bit... Uh, Wikipe- sort of Wikipedia, up until very recently, had me down as a gay cowboy. So, yeah, so I know, I've heard about that. It, it's, the, it's, it's the home of the made-up facts. <laughs> do, do, is that, is that, is that Annie Oakley's uh, dress you wear? Something like that. It, do tell me that you knew Mark Bowler, though. Yeah, I knew Mark when I was 13. I was with him the night he died. Unfortunately, I could have been killed with him. No, blimey. Within a club called Morton's. Yeah. I, I spent the week with him, because Gloria Jones, his lady, was away in New York. Yeah. That week, and Martin, oh, Eric, Eric, my dear, come and stay with me, because he hated to be on his own. Yeah. So I stayed with him, and we got the message about the EMI Records then, had a promotion, and we got the message that she's coming back that night. 
So we went to Moulton in Barclay Square, which you probably know. Yep. And we sat there. She arrived with her brother, Richard Jones. We sat there and I said to Mark, Mark, you know, I'm going to go home. And, you know, no, 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 don't go home, don't go home. But I crept out of the back way. He had a few glasses of champagne. Yeah. I went out of the back way, give Gloria a little kiss on her face. Say, Gloria, but I'm going to schmice. I'm going to go. I'll see you in the morning. Because I got in my car, drove to Loughton in Essex, got out of my car, went to bed, got up in the morning, it was like, you know, like a dream, put the radio on like you do, or maybe you don't, but I do. Well, yeah, no, I do. And, and it yeah. says, there's news, like eight o'clock news or something, and did a dim and da 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 and the pop star, like Mark Boland, was killed in a oh, car crash man. last night. Well, I nearly crashed my car. That must have been devastating. I've been with him every night, literally, yeah. for that week. Yeah. In, you know, in that, in that, I was driving that mini. The mini that killed him, yeah. I was driving. You know, I didn't drive that night. I drove my car back to Essex. But, um, yeah, you know, same what with, with I spent I mean, a few days before Freddie Mercury died. Oh, blimey. I spent, you know, on his hand in, in Shepherd Bushway. Yeah. yeah. And again, one of my claims to fame. You know, I've been around a long time. Yeah. Was that they wrote a song, or Freddie wrote a song about me, called Killer Queen. Is that about you? About me, probably, yeah. I did not know that, Eric. No, well, you know it now. Flipping, eh? You won't believe it now, people who see me. If and if you see me on radio, they have got a hell of a good eyes. But I, he did fancy me a lot. He, he monster, monster fancy me. Yeah, no <laughs> chance. No chance. And he told me that, and everything. Yeah. He came to office one day with a new record, a single. And he said, Eric, play this. And I put it on, and I was kidding. Oh, Queen. No, but whatever it was. I thought, oh, God, it's got to be a monster here. Yeah. Monster, love it, Freddie, love it. No, monster, no, yeah. my dear, you're not listening. Put it on again, look, same, same shtick. I said, Freddie, I told you I love it. I love it. He said, no, no, you're not listening. And in those days, he said, it's about you, it's really about me. And I did, I used to keep Mummy Shandon yeah. in a cabinet I in EMI, my fancy cabinet. And I used to have, I went for a little shtick when I had on my hair perms. And, you know, people used to say to me for a joke, they would look like Mary Antoinette. <laughs> and that's the lyric. So what, what the bottom line was, that not boring you, I'm sure you No, oh boring. no, I'm loving this, Eric. Um, you talk all he, night if you want, mate. Oh, no, I can do. I know. Oh, wait. He <laughs> then, I, I, he said, I was it's about me. He said, because I'm a queen, him talking, Freddie talking, I'm a queen and I can't have you and it's killing me. Oh, You're man. a killer queen. That is fantastic. Now, what is the... Now, you can tell me if this is a, a truth or myth. Uh, that, that you were somehow responsible for the the sex pistols going on the Bill Grundy show, that that infamous show where they effed and jeffed and it kind of made well, their well, name. Not, not somewhat responsible, but uh, monster, monster responsible. Go on, give, give us the monster, I had, monster I story. Had a, a producer in those days, that Bill Grundy show, yeah. was a man called Mike House Show mm. television, Houston Tower. I, look, I had arranged that night for a Queen video, promotion video, to go on. So they, they used to do a pop spot, whatever that night was, Tuesday or whatever the night day was. Yeah. And about quarter past four, I had a phone call from Mike. Eric, we've got a problem. What's that? I can't use a video. So what do you mean you can't use it? It's not been MU cleared. I do use those days, Musicians Union clearance. Yeah. That's a phone that, you know, without giving a 20-minute sh- chat about that. But it... it Say, got me yours for whatever reason. So, is he going anything else for me? Because I was, you know, one of those pluggers that, you know, I was good at my job and people come to me for it. I said, no, not really. So he said to me, what about those sex pistols I'm reading about? Well, they're okay, but I don't know if they're right for you, you know, your show. And he, and he said, no, I want them. I want to go through that spot. 
we go there in a like, couple of hours' time, at six o'clock it was. So I said, OK, leave it to me, I'll get back to you. I phoned Malcolm McLaren, who wasn't there. His secretary said, no, it's in uh, Hammersmith. They're rehearsing the boys, yeah. pistols, for a tour. So I phoned him up. I had to get a phone number, because in those days, it was before the, you know, mobile shtick. Yeah. I phoned him, got through to the uh, rehearsal room in Hammersmith, a bubba bub, and they got me said, Malcolm, listen, I've got a TV for the boys tonight. Oh, great. Now, it must have been a Wednesday. I'll tell you why, because he used to record Top of the Pops on a Wednesday, which went out on the Thursday. Yeah. So it was a Wednesday. I said, I've got to, he said, uh, oh, great, what Top of the Pops? I said, no. Supersonic? I said, no. This was, I said, no. Sadly, seen I said, no. What is it? I said, the Today Show. They said, I'm not doing that. No, 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 I'm not doing that. I said, we've got to do it. Now, now I don't want to let Mike House go down, obviously. Mm. Been, you know, I've you know, quite a good name of the promotion. Well, very good name. That's I, a yellow card, Eric. Get yellow cards you got there. Listen, I must apologise. Don't you worry. He said, um, I think Bubble would be a monster, monster plug. They've got to do it. I'm telling you, it's a monster, monster plug. It'd be the great singer. Oh, oh, ball S, which I just said. Yes, well done. It's just, just <laughs> make talking into him. Is there one condition we're doing? Okay, you've convinced me. Like you do with all your other artists yeah. at your record company, I want a limousine to pick him up, to take him there and then bring him back. I think you're you talking about, limousine. I don't mind, you want it, you got it. Zipper, you in a cab. You're in Hammersmith. Go to Westway. You'll be there in ten minutes. <laughs> no, no, I want a limousine. That's the deal. And also, I want smoked salmon sandwiches and and drinks and everything, you know, like you do with yourself. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. of course, I said this. I wanted to plug. And I did that. And they did the show. Now, if I don't convince Malcolm to do it with ten or little, one or two little lies, yeah. then they wouldn't have done it. So, correct. And, and and that made them, and it was, you know, it's it's one of the well, groundbreaking saying, TV saying, moments. Ian, what I'm saying, interrupt you as usual. Go on. What I'm saying is that, you know, I said it'd be a month, and it was, because the next following morning, they were on the front, not back page, not middle page, yeah. nearly every front page of every national newspaper here, and, and a lot of papers that are in Europe, yeah. abroad too. So, it, it was a super, and then, quite rightly so, because Bill Grundy did go to them. He go to them, that idiot. And he was put on what they called gardening leave. Well, he was still on gardening leave to the day he died about a year ago. Yeah. He, must have, he must have had a really big garden. <laughs> a monster garden. Eric, listen, had. we got you on to talk about sport, right? Because I'm not. H- how did you make the transition from, from pop and, and music and all of that stuff into the world of sport? Well, again, you know, sometimes I, I don't believe that people have the right time in the right place or whatever the expression is. I don't believe that. I think you be in the right place, but you make it the right time. I had actually been to Manchester that day. Yeah. That day, which we're talking about, which is the day you wanted to, how I yeah. got into football. And I come back I'm from Houston, fancy a little, I don't, I'm not drinking, but fancy maybe a Diet Coke and a steak sandwich. So I went to an obvious place I used to go to. Probably you go there even now. Morton's in Barclay Square. Mm. So I walk into Morton's in Barclay Square, and there's, you know, quite busy the bar, not the restaurant upstairs, the ground floor bit. And then a big black guy come up to me. No, it's very, very smoking, very nice. He said, excuse me, he said, I, I know you. I said, well, I don't know, you know, you know, maybe, I don't know. No, no, I know you. I can't think where I know you from. Where could it be? I said, well, look, you know me. You're not going to be asking me where it could be because you know me and I don't know you. Suddenly a little stout fella come over, a little guy, 
You know, sitting there, like, Garth, leave him alone. You drive this man mad, talking about me. And it was a guy who said that was a guy called Steve Perryman. Right. Now, I've heard of him. Captain I've heard Spurs. of him, yes. And the Garth guy was a guy called Garth Crooks. Yep, know him. Got it. And the other little guy, which I didn't mention, but I'll mention now, with him, was Chris, Chris Uton, Spurs player. Right, OK. So I got there, and I said, it's all right. I said, no, it's all right. not bothering me. It's all right. And he worked out. He kind of knew me. I used to go to a club, and you're maybe too young to know this club. I used to go to a club called Monkbridge in German Street. Yeah. And he'd see me down there, like a monster name dropper. He'd see me at this club many times. We're sitting with Elton John, with Freddie Mercury, rest his soul, with this one. So, not really knew me, but he'd seen a lot of faces, and I was amongst those faces, having champagne or whatever, in Monkbridge in German Street. So we worked it out. So I got chatting and chatting. And they must have liked the way I chatted, or, or Steve Perriman did. And he said, you ever thought about being an agent in football? I said, no, 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 I'm agent. I made a silly joke. I'm going to make it again. Nobody laughs then. It won't laugh now. <laughs> said, no, I could never be an agent in football. Why is that? I said, well, you, you do free kicks. He said, what's that got to do with it? I said, well, you should charge for them. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Hall is here all week. <laughs> yeah, well done. So, and that was that. We got chatting. Yeah. And I said, all right. He convinced, not convinced me. He said, I said, yeah, let's do I just got a moment then. But, you know, I left here in all the big companies. I worked for a lady called Nicola Martin, who was a record producer and manager who managed Bucksies. Yeah. They just done Eurovision and making your mind up. So that was, you know, all read off for me. So we got chatting and um, I said, okay, you, you, I'll give it a try and see what happens. And we shook hands, no contract. And I'm still Stevie Perriman's man now. Isn't that funny? So, you know, it's many years later. Isn't that funny? So, I, I got into football by meeting Steve Perriman in, in Morton's restaurant. Were you a fan of football, Eric? Was it, you know... No, I hate it. Oh, really? No, no, you're supposed to try and convince me that football's the way forward. No, Bubbler, I hate it. I don't <laughs> understand. Don't hate it. I don't understand it, Bubbler. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather sit at home and watch, you know, a movie than watch football. How did that work, then, if you're representing well, all these footballers? And the fact is, no, because going just back, maybe slightly on this story, a few yeah. months back, or a year back, I was a record plugger. I was the best plugger in the business. Yeah. Ask anybody who knows me. Monster. So, I treated football, and I turned it round, that's a fact. I made footballers like pop stars. I, I plugged them, promoted them. I remember the first time I found out a man called Paul Gianni about Steve Perriman. Paul Gianni was the BBC and was producing a show called Two Shows. One was Basil Brush and one was Cracker Jack. Cracker Jack! Cracker Jack. I'm old enough to remember that. Of course you are, yeah. And I got Steve Perriman. I remember phoning Steve up. Saying, Steve, we've got TV to do next, uh, next week, next whatever it was. What's that? I said, Cracker Jack. I said, Cracker Jack. I look like World of Sport or Grandstand. I said, no. <laughs> and I started pushing. I shows like Punchlines and all those yeah, yeah. shows and... And I said, so yeah. So I started, I started, you know, giving, again, fashion spreads. You never, the only, I think, sports person before I got involved with the business was, I think, the old cricket black called Len Hutton, who'd done a Brooklyn advert, and I think also, uh, splash it all over Henry Cooper and... Keegan, wouldn't it? Keegan, did Kim, Kim, yeah, but, splash it all over. But I made it, I made it more popular by, you know, throwing up magazines and getting them fashion spreads in magazines and the footballers have never, ever done before. Well, I, I, I treated football players like showbiz. So you're part, of the, you're part of the reason, Eric, now that then they can command such huge fees and they get all these sponsorship deals then? I think I'm proud of that, yeah. Yeah. I said to somebody, I'll say it again now, and somebody said, Eric, you know, you know the bubble's going to burst. I said, no, no. I've got to tell you, I said to this guy, forget about the bubble. That bubble ain't even been blown yet. Yeah. It will burst, but it got blown up first. But it's just the beginning. Yeah. This is the beginning of big, 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 big bumps. Uh, and they deserve it. You know, you get someone like Brad Pitt 
or Paul Newman a bit, you know, rest his soul out, yeah. but who command monster, and quite rightly so, yeah. monster, monster, monster money to do a movie. Fobblers. But, you know, major teams, I'm talking about maybe, I won't even mention their names, I'm set up a team, but the major clubs, they get, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100,000 people every week watch them, not just one show, every Saturday. You know, so when I was Do saying, you not think, there is an argument, isn't there, Eric, that, that football was was a working man's um, sport, but but, but th- there's there's some kind of, you know, schism between working class people going to pay money to see millionaires kicking a ball around. Do you, do you, do you, do you get that argument? Well, they don't know, no, no, I don't, I accept what you're saying, of course people say that, quite a few people, but my answer to that is that, you know, you don't have to pay. No one puts a gun to your head mm. to buy a ticket for the after playing Man City. Savvy, you got to go. I'll be to shoot you. But all there's bums on the seats, yeah. which there is. I mean, I think I may get my facts a bit wrong, but I believe that like after to buy a season ticket after, there's like something like a twelve year waiting list. Flipping heck. And Spurs, I think again nine years. Man United, sixteen years waiting list. Yeah. So you know, long as people are putting, you know. And their pocket and bums on seats by buying tickets, then quite rightly so. And the players who are the star of the show, you don't buy a ticket, not you, you're not a football man, really, no. as I said in your introduction, yeah. or you said in your introduction, but you know, you don't buy a ticket to watch the chairman and the directors, you buy to watch the, like yeah. you do a movie, to watch the stars on the field. And I always yeah. said, I remember getting to, I've got, when I said to Steve Perriman, I said, well, Steve, we're going to be your agent. You know, what, what do you earn? How much your wages? I won't say what it is even now. I, was, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. That's like 400 quid a week or 500 quid yeah. a week. I said, you mad? I went, to, I went to a match with him. He took me to a match. Or I watched, watched the match when he was playing. And after the match, we had this chat. I just seen like the whole stadium in White Hart Lane. You know, 40-odd thousand people packed. And I couldn't believe. You know, so I now think the players are getting, getting what they deserve. They deserve the money because they're the stars of the show. That's a fact. So, what your question to answer it? Yeah, the element of truth. What you're saying, but if you don't unhappy what the players are getting, don't go. Don't go. So, but still, the, 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 the chairman and the directors will say, "Hey, in a minute, we've got to do something." Yeah. Either drop the ticket, ticket prices. You know, it's two for one or three for one or something. You know. But while again, repeat myself for the ninety seventh time, <laughs> while people are still paying. Yeah, you know, it's going to be that way. Eric, listen, I'm going to let you go in a minute, but you're, you're, you're still busy now, even, you know, after you, you're being in your coma and being poorly a few years ago, you're still yeah, busy and I'm working hard now. now. I feel that with football, my, my nephew does a lot for me, Michael McPherson. Um, but I'm also going back to, in a strange way, my old business, because I'm looking after a guy called Joe Longthorne, I'm sure you're right. Oh, Joe Longthorne does the best Shirley Bassey impression anywhere. The best Shirley, and he does get Eric Hall now. So he's one of my clients. Oh, fantastic. Uh, also, um, I've got a new kid on the block. Called Attila, he's a jazz singer. He's a Turkish boy. He's the most sensational uh, jazz singer. Um, yeah, so I'm looking after his, you know some sort of back doing bits and pieces of music business. Eric, listen, I'm going to pass you back to Catherine because I'd love to get Joe Longthorn on the show one night. Well, he, he's not very well at the moment, oh, as you know. Is he? Uh, he's, well, he's 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 poor. Is he? Is he? Is he? Is he doing okay? Yeah, yeah, he's in Spain at the moment, having a break. All right. And, uh, but no, we can sort something out. Listen, when he gets, when he gets on the mend, it'll be great to have a chat with him, because Joe Longthorne is one of those, um, he's one of those legends. I remember he was huge in the 80s, the Joe well, Longthorne show, yeah. That's going to be huge again. Fantastic. Eric, well, let's, Eric listen, Eric send him our best, Eric, and, and, and when he gets well enough, yeah, we'll... But don't remind you, 
something, you, can, you remind me in a way. I'll remind you to remind me what I'm going to ask you. I remember we did something together once when you tried to set me up. Oh, flipping it. That, that, that always fills me with fear when something like that, when someone says that. Was no, I didn't mind because I was No, I was way. trying to think. Was it, was it on the 11 o'clock show? 11 o'clock show. You put me in a studio somewhere and so I think. Well, and what did we, what did we do? I can't talk to you, I can't remember. And not you remember. I don't, I don't remember what I you did last me, week. You sat me there in the studio. Yeah. And he was asking me some very silly questions. Quite right, I thought you were setting me up. And, um, well, uh, I remember the guy was with me. It was working at the time. I sort of whispered in I said, this, this is a setup. This is and a- it was definitely me, was it, Eric? Yeah, yeah. Like, that wouldn't right. have been the 11 o'clock show. I don't know. Well, listen, I, I sincerely apologise for that. That was, you no, know. you schmuck, I loved it. <laughs> well, good for you. I'm an egomaniac, bubbler. I'll have to have a think about what that is. I was, listen, I was a bit mean about 15 years ago when I was on the TV. Yeah, yeah, no, a lot has right, changed. Right. Well, you're, you're very kind. Pro- I know you do the occasional thing with Sky and whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. But you are too talented. To, I mean, talk radio is sensational for you, but you've got to get it back on TV. Bless you, Eric. Yourself. Well, listen, you're you're a good man and you're a good sport, and I appreciate. Have you ever needed an agent? Phone me up. <laughs> don't, because Nick will be listening. He'll be saying, "Don't you dare, <laughs> Eric." Love you, talk to you, mate. Take care. See you soon. Bro. Thank God. you very much. Cheers. There we go. It always fills me with dread. Um, yeah, we'll get we'll get Joe Longthorn on when Joe improves a bit. We'll get Joe Longthorn on. It always fills me with dread when someone says, "Well, we worked together a few years ago, Aye. and you stitched me up." Aye. What was that? Um, it would have been a pilot show. Um, Eric Hall, because I, I I knew we'd done something. I thought he'd been a guest on um, the eleven o'clock show, but if he'd been a guest in the studio, no, it wasn't the puppet thing. Um, it wasn't. It, it wasn't when we got. I we, we got a dog to interview people. I don't know. I don't know. Dear listener, welcome to the Talk Radio Sports Special. Special. We're discussing sports. You want a piece of the action? You can have a piece of the action. I'm not a sports fan. I'm hoping by one o'clock, the end of the show, that I will be uh, convinced that actually there is a sport out there for me. We're going to speak to Gail M's in a bit. It's exciting, isn't it? Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Late nights with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. Uncut after hours conversation for the up all night generation. Late nights, Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. I'm being reminded by Peter that possibly we interviewed Eric Hall on the eleven o'clock show, and it was like a talking computer. So he would have been talking to a computer and um, I was sat up in a room and interviewing him and being rude. That's probably what it was. Remember, we did, I did Uri Geller with the ventriloquist dummy and Keith Harrison Orville with a dog. <laughs> they, they sat in the studio with a dog and I had to be the voice of a dog. Um, good evening, dear listener. This is the um, talk radio sports special special. I don't know anything about sports. I don't particularly like sports, and I'm trying... <clears throat> I'm worried that I'm missing out on a huge um, the, the, the part of... You know, it's it's a big part of a lot of people's lives. And I'm, maybe at the age of 43, maybe I've, I've, I've missed out on something. That um, this spiritual hole that uh, is in my life, could part of it could be filled with sports. So we have rounded up the gold winners, silver winners, Olympians, Paralympians, snooker players. We've got basically everybody from every kind of sport, legends, coming on 
to tell me what they get out of sport and why they dig it uh, so much. Well, I'm very, I'm thrilled to say we have uh, our first MBE of the evening. Uh, it's Gail Ems. Evening, Gail. Hello, good evening. Um, now, um, I, I, I'm always, I, I'm always um, thrilled when I get to speak to people who've got, you know, like MBE and OBE. When, when, <laughs> when did you find out you were getting the MBE and how exciting was it? Um, I found out so it was 2009, so I just retired. Um, the Olympics, my last Olympics was 2008, Beijing Olympics, yeah. and then I found out. I think it was the year, like a, a year later, in yeah. the June, the, the June birthday honours. Um, I think for me, I think it was. I was more shocked, really, because I felt, you know, really, I'm, you know, I was only 31, and usually you get it, you know, give it to grannies who have like helped loads of like mm. charities, and I felt a bit like I just played badminton. I didn't feel like I was worthy <laughs> of it, um, but yeah, you know, really for my parents, oh my goodness, their faces. Oh, were, I like, bet your mum was just, thrilled, wasn't she? she yeah, they were over the moon. But seeing your mum and dad in Buckingham Palace is a really weird experience because we get to go there, you know, sort of a, a Olympic party yeah. with the, you know, sort of the pre-Olympics and post-Olympic celebrations. But seeing your mum and dad in Buckingham Palace is just a little bit, oh, my God, don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you worried they were going to embarrass you or something? Yeah, dad was going to say something inappropriate. Okay. Totally. Oh my goodness. You know, of all the places you ha- you know, you take your parents, Buckingham <laughs> Palace is not really, you know, the one where you just don't want them to do anything stupid, is it? I get, I get embarrassed when I take my mum to Marks and Spencer's. So yeah, yeah. you know, I can imagine being in, in Buckingham Palace, you'd, you'd be terrified. Caught, I actually caught my mum wearing my Olympic tracksuit in Tesco's once. Really? Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? What, she she just put point? it on and gone out and you bumped into her? Yeah, yeah. Oh no. And it was, she actually said to me, well, you don't wear it anymore, so I thought I'd get some use out of it. <laughs> That's such a mum thing to say. I know. There you go. This is what I have to deal with. So this is why, you know, I was a little bit worried. Now, you mentioned, so what, what age did you retire from uh, badminton? 30, from pro- professional competitive badminton? 30? Yeah, 31. Yeah. 31? That's... I know. That's, I mean, that's incredibly young to retire from anything. What, what, how, did you, how did you make that decision? Basically, um, I'd won everything, and the Beijing Olympics was the only chance that I was. I knew that I had my best chance of winning Olympic gold. The one thing that I hadn't won, yeah. And I came fifth, and I sat there and thought, "Well, I'm 31. Can I go for another four years just to get an Olympic medal? I'll be 35. Am I going to be the best at 35?" And I thought, just basically, <laughs> sod it. <laughs> I'm going to drink wine and eat chocolate instead. Um, I knew that I couldn't get any better. And that was the best that I was going to be. And I gave everything. I gave I gave it my best shot. Mm. And I feel really proud of it. And I felt proud to have retired at the age I did. And, and I, yeah, like I said, proved a lot of people wrong. Did my best. Why? I must admit, you're not putting up a brilliant argument for why I should get into sports, and you say, "Oh, oh sod it, I'm going to, I'm going to drink and eat chocolate." Um, why? That's professional. That's professional level. Right. You can't do that. Okay. Right. Why badminton? What was it about that sport that 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 really got you excited? Well, I'm too short for tennis. I'm right. only five foot three, so oh. that was that out. Okay. Um, it was either badminton or hockey, really, for me. Um, I, I'm, I've always been competitive. I've grown up with, my mum was an England footballer, actually, so my house oh, was just wow. a natural, sporty house. Yeah. So it was normal for me, and I was insanely competitive. I was that annoying kid at schools in every sports team, and just, I still, I still now and then, 
everything is a competition. So if we're playing a game of cards, or Monopoly, board games, even grabbing a, a supermarket trolley, I have to be the oh, first. You're one of them, it. are you? I'm one of oh, them. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. So that's why sport was just a natural fit for me. And I had to do sport, because if I didn't, I'd just be really annoying. And where, what was, because I've got two boys, they're seven and five, and they go to rugby mm. club, and they go and play tennis and stuff like that, and they enjoy it. Oh, but uh, what, how early on did someone go, oh, she's, she's actually pretty special at this, and, and then kind of start pushing you a bit more? Um, I think I, I remember being seven, and I remember playing a tournament uh, where there were 10 and 11-year-olds, and I remember getting to the final, and wow. I remember thinking I was, you know, sort of, that, when you're a young age and just having that confidence, that just boosts you as well. Yeah. So it's with your boys, I've got two boys as well, and when they, you can see their confidence, they've had a good game, and they've beaten someone they shouldn't have, or, yeah. you know, the football team or rugby team, you just see that, and that, to me, is just incredible. Yeah. And I think it's just whether, and it's their choice whether they want to go on for that. You, it, the best thing you can do is just allow that child to decide how they want to go. And as I was, you know, like you say, love the competition, mm. love being good at something. It was just natural for me to carry on. And you're right. That um, my my eldest boy, he's, he's more of a bookworm than he is kind of a physical physical guy. But he he, um, uh, he did his first judo tournament last year. And wow. I was, I was dreading it, Gail. I was, cause, <laughs> cause I thought, I, I thought he's either going to get an injury or he's going to get, he's going to get battered and, and it's going to yeah. really upset him and knock his confidence. But through, um, through determination, a little bit of luck, um, yeah. and him really throwing himself into it, he, he got second place and he won a silver Yay! trophy. And you're right. It's that, that look on his face yeah. of just sheer, Jo- pride pride is yeah. the word it's it, it, it it's it's wonderful isn't it yeah and that's what sport is about that pride and it doesn't matter whatever whatever level so that pride in your son's face is exactly the same as pride that i had when yeah. i won the world championships it doesn't matter if it's someone running three miles for the first time or you know anything it is that that pride in doing something our bodies are incredible and the fact that we can go and do judo and we can go for a run and mm. we can do incredible things that is just something to be yeah incredibly proud of when you um w- when you retire from competitive sport do you do you just suddenly stop training and stop doing exercise or do you have to kind of have a gradual <laughs> calm down does your, bo- does your body go into oh. shock if you're not doing stuff pretty much yeah um and also the mind Right. My mind has been that it's been the hardest thing for my mind to readjust because normal life is so slow. In sport, it's everything's quick. You know, you want to. You're always looking for, right? Okay, training was rubbish. That was right. We're going to work on that. That match wasn't good, and everything is quick fire. And it was, and I was the best in the world at something. Yeah. And what was harder yeah. for me was not being the best. You know, walking in the supermarket and no one caring that I wasn't, you know, a badminton player yeah. anymore. So, yeah, I think it, the body and mind... Did you feel you lost a little bit of your identity? Massively. Yeah. Massively, yeah. And I think, you know, now, even, you know, sort of being a mum and doing all the things that I do, you still pine for that comfort zone of, mm. you know, being really selfish and, you know, everything was about me. And yeah. <laughs> I still want to be the best or something. Um, but you know what? It's, it's such a great... I'm so lucky to have had sport in my life, and I've, I'm so lucky to have been able to do that as my job. To do something you love as a job, mm. it, you know, how many people out there don't do that? So, it, so I was very, you know, very, very lucky. Are the boys sporty? They, 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 they got their eye on anything they enjoy doing? 
Yeah, they, um, I mean, both of them are really sporty, only because it's just a natural thing for us to do as a family. So we're always doing swimming or playing football or whatever. So, yeah, they are, I mean, my eldest is seven soon and he's football crazy. Mm. Absolutely, everything's about football. And my youngest is three and a half and he's built like a rugby player already. So, um, (laughs) you know, the talent ID process is gone. (laughs) Do they they fight? Because my boys... Oh, it's just constant fighting from when they yeah. wake up at seven in the morning till they go to bed at eight and nine. Fight, fight, fight. My daddy grabbed yeah. my willy. Daddy, he hit me. Daddy, it's, <laughs> it's constantly that. Yeah. We have to play Avengers. It's like Hulk versus um, Captain America in our house constantly. <laughs> and it's quite nice because I used to always have to join in. And now I'm just like, oh, God, you two just do it. I'm just, <laughs> it's, you know, I... The constant wrestling. Our sofas are just made into boxing rings mm. or wrestling rings or whatever. And you know what? It just if, if they're showing that it's just their, you know, sort of physicality, yeah. they're just learning about it. Um, and like I say, it, it's good to see them learning about their bodies, their strength, and um, their physical ability. You're still working very, very hard. Obviously, was was there when you were retired? Was was there a plan in place, or did did things kind of happen? The motivational speaking, the the, the TV appearances. What what was the plan? The, there was no plan. Actually, I really would naively and probably arrogantly thought that I just get flooded with offers. Yeah. You know, I, I when you're in that bubble, like I say, you know, you are the best at something. I really thought once I retired, people would be queuing up to offer me work. Mm. Um, and then it was like, oh, again, this is not how normal the world phone, works. Is the phone working, guys? Can we yeah, check the yeah, phone? Hello, hello, hello. Why does <laughs> no one want me? Um, yeah, so it, then it naturally fell into what, you know, sort of what skill set do I have? What do I enjoy doing? And the best thing for me has been going into schools and showing kids the Olympic medal. Yeah. I get to jump up and down with primary school kids and, Brilliant. you know, tell them about being the best they can be and stuff like that. And it really makes you reflect. On, a get, on the people that helped you, the people who inspired you, the people who encouraged you. Mm. And I think that is, if I can do, if I can give back in any way, um, I tell those, you know, tell wonderful stories about my mum and embarrass her massively. Because um, <laughs> they've all got an embarrassing mum. Oh, yeah, and I course. think, you know, kids can relate to that. And uh, hopefully I've inspired a few kids on, on my talk. What a thrill, though, to be in a primary school and have an, an actual proper, you know, Olympian coming in and showing the medal and, and Tell, telling them how it was done and, you know, know. and saying that they can do it as well because they can yeah. do it. They can. I can and I don't always talk about it. So, so I try not, you know, not every kid is sporty and, yeah. I, and I understand that. So I try and say what it, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's sport, if it's music, books, it's finding whatever, your thing. It's exactly, find your thing and just go for it and, you know, be very proud when you do go for it. Even like the, you know, I've worked with, um, you know, anger management kids as well in secondary schools and they give it all of their oh, yeah, whatever, whatever, and, you know, all this attitude. But when they see the medal, you know, you see a little bit of them kind of, mm. the guard comes down, and you, know, you see that look at, they look at you differently, and they sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, respect, miss, respect. So <laughs> 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 uh, <but> thanks. <laughs> Cheers for that. Um, but it is, you know, I kind of like that, the fact that you can just sort of, um, sport can bring down barriers, really. Yeah. Gail, it's so nice to talk to you. I, I, you know, and I'm, I, it, it, it's, um, I, I'm finding this all, um, well, quite. Have I helped? Well, you <laughs> oh. see, badminton, badminton. I could because my mother-in-law plays badminton, and she's got. Yeah. I think she's sixty-seven, sixty-eight. Every Wednesday, she goes and plays badminton. Um, okay. And I must admit, in the past, 
I might yeah. have made jokes about badminton being a you know okay. a poor man's tennis. Yeah, um, yeah. But you, it, 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 it is it is quite an intense physical game, isn't it? It's just a different physicality to tennis. It is. It is different. It's the fastest racket sport, so I can hit a shuttle harder than Andy Murray can serve. Yes, in your face, so. Murray. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the shuttle, the shuttle, the guys are smashing over 240 miles an hour now. So, yeah, so that's the speed of what it can do. But if you fancy gaming, I'm happy to, um, you know, sort of, we'll, we'll, we can do that. And then you can take on your mother-in-law and have a chance. Oh, Gail, right. That's, that's a definite booking. Yes, I'm going to come okay. and play badminton with you. That's definitely All happening. Right. We'll do it. Really then. nice to talk to you. Thank you so much, Gail. No problem. Speak to you soon. Gail Ems, MBE, and me are going to have a nice game of uh, badminton at some point, dear listener. I think a little bit of progress may have been made in my antipathy towards sports. Wasn't she delightful? Um, 0344 499 1000 is the telephone number. Late Nights with Ian Lee, Talk Radio. Late Night, Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. We've got more guests coming up. Oh, we've got guests aplenty. John Virgo's coming up later on. We spoke to John before the show. Um, he's, he's 70 years old. Where, when did that happen? I mean, I know, you know, I don't know why I'm surprised, but but when did that happen? John Virgo coming up later on to try and convince me to uh, that, that snooker is the way forward. He's very, very funny. Um, he's, he's also got an app out. Right? I said, John, do you know what an app is? He said, Ian, you've got me. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> Well done, sir. It's the uh, Talk Radio Sports Special Special this evening, where I said we'd um, do it. On Friday, I was full of beans, and I cockily said, Catherine, we're going to do a sports show on Monday, book some guests. And then I forgot about it, and I got and I saw Catherine yesterday, because we were doing another show together, The Rabbit Hole. And she went, well, I've booked uh, all these sporting guests. I went, what? She goes, yeah, I've got some great sports guests uh, 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 for you. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, y- you told me to book them on Friday. I went... Oh no, did I? Oh, that was um that was a joke. But 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 we're doing it. We're diving headfirst into the sports. Um and we're we're seeing if I can be in any way persuaded that sports are the way forward. I, I think I think I could have a go at badminton. I can do that. We'll definitely have a go with uh, with Gail Lambs. We'll, we'll we'll play that. I was interested that she didn't say shuttlecock. Um but then two hundred and forty miles an hour did she say? Flip have some of that. Good evening, Jessica. Um, yeah, hello there, Ian. Um, hello, Jessica. Um, what about, you should try fencing. Oh, now, actually, yeah, I could dig a bit of fencing. Uh, do you do it? Well, do you know what, I, I did do it. In fact, well, I think I even got a certificate for it at some point. A fencing um, certificate? You must be good. <laughs> no, I wasn't really, I was rubbish. Oh. Um, it's like with the epi and the sword. It's very kind of, I like, I'll tell you what I liked about it. Yeah. Um, I liked that it was kind of cool and a bit kind of like, oh, you know, I'm going to go and fight with a sword today. Um, but then also it was really hard. God, it was It's like the poetry reading of the sports world, isn't it? There's, 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 it kind of implies that there's a deep thinker behind that mask. Yeah. Because obviously you're sort of, it's all about being very elegant and very kind of, you know, um, contained That's and controlled. You're describing um, me, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, me too. And um, actually, it absolutely kills your legs. Oh, oh my God. Well, because isn't it, so isn't it a bit like ballet in that, that there are really specific stances you have to That's stand in? That's the thing. It's like getting to certain positions and holding those positions and then, like, 
know, sort of trying not to get stabbed. What's that? And it is because it's all electronic now, isn't it? When you hit someone, it registers. Oh, I don't know. This oh. is quite. This was like probably about ten, fifteen years. Oh, maybe ago. that hadn't been. What? And also, uh, when I've seen fencing on on telly or in films, sometimes they have they they they've got they're tied to a bit of string. Do you know what I mean? There's like a bit of string, and and they get pulled back. Have I just dreamt that? That might be health and safety. Health and safety in fencing. It's, um, yeah, it's, I tell you something that I did try very, very briefly for a job I was doing, which is, is kind of similar. Um, Can I just say one more thing about fencing? Yeah, sure, why, um, well, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, only that, um, if you try it, yes. that's probably a good one for you, you know, because, yeah. um, you do get, like, lots of upper body strength. Yes. Um, it's, it's quite quick and entertaining. Yes. It's like you're having a fight with someone, but you're not. Yeah. Um, you've got to concentrate, and you'll have to, otherwise you can get kind of, like, injured. Well, you don't get injured, though, because you're wearing that mask and the outfit. Are you kidding me? There was a guy on our course. What it was, yeah, Yeah. is I was at drama school, and part of it was this, like, stage fighting. Stage fighting, fighting. yeah, I don't know. That's what it was. Yeah. And we all hated it. It was on a Friday afternoon at this place called Winchester House. Yeah. Which was, like, a kind of very old-fashioned house. Yeah. With a ballroom. We'd all have to, like, get epied up and everything. And all you just wanted to do on that Friday afternoon was go home. Yeah. And um, the guy that, that taught us, um, he did all the kind of choreography of the fighting for, like, like the movies, like stuff like Willow and God knows what. Maybe even Lord of the Rings. I can't remember. Well, now you're just making stuff up. No, I'm not, honestly. But I've, I've tried... Well, I might I, be making the Lord of the Rings I've tried... Up, yes, I tried maybe. Kendo one afternoon, which is kind of like a rougher. Because you got the same outfit... Um, and I, and you've got this big, this big stick, and again, it's, it's kind of like dance moves, but when they, they, uh, they whack me over the head, and, and with that, that big helmet on, you don't really feel, you, you feel a whack, but it doesn't hurt, it's quite, um, it's quite exhilarating being whacked over the head by a big wooden stick. Wow. Um. On that I mean, side. maybe now and then, maybe now and then just for a change. Yes. Um, but I'll tell you something, um, I'll tell you where it goes to a different level, um, that summer I saw a business. Blimey. That what? Um, oh, the samurai. But, but they don't uh, fight with the samurai sword, do they? Uh, Not... No. Do you know what? Um, I've been to Japan a couple of times. I know you've been to Japan. Yeah. I've only been to Japan about three times. Um, but one time, um, I was going to this conference, and as part of the thing, um, there was this show that we went to, and it was this guy with this samurai sword. And I mean, obviously, it was like, you know, it was a show, but, oh, my God, it was just... Oh, it was incredible. Um, and, I mean, that is, like, you won't want to be on the wrong end of that at any point about uh, anything. Choppy, choppy, Jessica. Thank you. But speaking of Japan, you've just reminded me, uh, Toru Iwatani died today. Who's Toru Iwatani? He invented Pac-Man, guys. The inventor of Pac-Man, Toru Iwatani. I've met him. I've introduced him. Um, do you know how much he made from uh, from Pac-Man? Naffle. Didn't make nothing because it was owned by Namco. He worked for Namco. Everything he made for Namco, they owned. So he invented, uh, well, he invented Puckman. It was called Puckman. Then they changed it to Puckman. Um, and he just got a salary. He might have got a bonus. But um, I interviewed him about 2000, I think. And um, you got the impression that they just wheeled him out for interviews, and he came out at, with the interpreter, um, and we stood, I seem to remember, standing by a giant inflatable Pac-Man. And um, that's actually, if you're Japanese, 
that's exactly how Japanese people say pac- Pac-Man. A Pac-Man. Um, and he told this story that I think is made up, right, about how he um, was at a pizza place thinking of a, a new game and he looked down and a slice of pizza had been taken out and he saw his new character, Pac-Man. I don't believe that at all. I remember he's been a very nervous man, quite sweaty. Um, and I, we, we joked that he was being kept prisoner by Namco, um, and he was not allowed to leave for fear of telling the truth that, um, he didn't make it by having a piece of pizza. And I asked him, why do you think Pokemon was, um, so successful? And he said, well, via translators, he could have been saying anything. He could have been saying, please help me. They've got me locked in a room. I, I just let, I just want to go. Get me out of here. Um, but he said that the, the Pac-Man's success was down to the fact that it was the first video game that, bearing in mind, there hadn't been that many video games. It was the first video game, um, that women and girls like, because before it had been like Space Invaders and, and Asteroids and Pong and they were kind of perceived as blokey. And he said it was the first game that women and girls felt comfortable playing. He said, because I designed it with that in mind because the two things that women like are shopping and eating. And in that game, you go around and you eat and it's kind of like shopping because you're gathering all these things up and you you could and it's primarily eating. So it was designed <laughs> with women in mind. Um, but isn't it funny? When was Pac-Man? 82, I'm going to say 82. Someone check and I bet I'm right. Um and my boys have discovered Pac-Man recently, and um, they scream, they squeal with delight. And uh, Catherine was telling me last week, she showed it um, to her girls. For the, they played it, 80, okay. Her girls played it for the first time and went, oh, did they scream? And she went, yes, they did! And it's just because it's so frantic and frenetic and fast. And a game that is 37 years old, oh my goodness! The fact that a game's 37 years old, how many buttons has Pac-Man got? None. Just a joystick. You just waggle a joystick. That's it. A fact, the fact that that game can terrify and excite five, six, seven-year-olds 37 years after it was invented. And they've played games on the Xbox. They know what Xbox games look like. The fact that Pac-Man can still get them Shows what an absolute legend Toru Iwatani was. And, sir, I am saluting you. This is Ian Lee. This is Late Nights on Talk Radio. This is the Sports Special Special. Talk Radio. I've got Gail M's trolling me on Twitter now. Flipping heck. This sport is like being back at school. More sports guests after the news. Late Night, Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk.
It's Masaya Nakamura who's died. He was the guy that founded Namco. Not uh, Toru Iwatani. My apologies. My apologies. Regular listeners will know. Good evening, dear listener. This is Ian Lee. This is the Talk Radio Sports Special Special. Regular listeners will know I have absolutely no interest in sport whatsoever. I just don't get it. Never got it. Never's not quite true. As I say, I used to be a sprinter when I was younger. Um, but kind of about the age of 15, when I started running for the county, I realised I was never going to be as good as a lot of the other guys I was running against. And, oh, look, there's beer and girls. And that was kind of it. Um, and I struggle with with sports. I really do struggle with sports. I, I, and with my two young boys, seven and five now, kind of getting into sports, I want to make sure that I open them up to as many... Oppor- when you have kids, you want them to try as many different things as possible until they find their thing. They find the one thing in particular, maybe more than one, but there's generally one thing is the main thing that works for them and sticks with them. Now... It might be writing, it might be music, it might be talking into a microphone, it might be running around kicking a ball about. I don't know, but I'd like them to find it. So I'm I'm kind of hoping that by the end of the show, um, and we've got a few more guests coming up, that by the end of the show, my complete wall, like the wall they're going to build between America and Mexico, so we can't see the Mexicans, I can't see sport, I don't get sport, and I'm hoping a bit of that wall will be demolished, if it's not demolished, maybe a tunnel will be built, or we'll buy a ladder, getting confused with that metaphor, so I'm going to back away from it, 0344 499 1000 is the telephone number, now the sport that I have the biggest problem with is football. And I know, and I know it's the most popular and we work right next door to talk sport and we've got Andy Goldstein and Jason Cundy and all these kind of, you know, people that are very up on their football there. And we, we listen to football matches every night and it's just, it's never spoken to me. So I'm hoping that maybe my next guest can just start football speaking to me. I'm really thrilled. We've got um, Gwillem Balagay on the line. Evening, Gwillem. Good evening, Ian. Love the show. Oh well, th- thank you very much indeed. Right, and I'm and I'm really trying to be honest, Gwilym. I know we've got we've got a, a really exciting documentary we're going to talk about, and we'll get there in the end. I promise. I promise. I promise. But tell me, what is it? What is it about football that that excites you? And when did you first kind of think, oh, this is this is good? <laughs> uh, football is it's it's a passion uh, since I was young, uh, something you play. And then if you get the opportunity to meet the people that, that uh, played as well, you, uh, you get to see a different side of it. If you actually get to uh, go a little bit further and, uh, and dedicate a year or two of your life about uh, some of the people you admire uh, and get to write a book on them, that mm-hmm. also brings you a different, uh, different line to what football is about. If you have the opportunity to run a football club as a modest one that I'm running at the moment, it also brings you a different light to football. And you know what? Uh, football is people. Football is just uh, another way for people to talk to each other, to share time, to get excited about it, uh, to uh, to forget, certainly, to forget about you know everything else that's happening in your life. But it's uh, it's a it's a way of sharing. Uh, for me, football is not about the goals yeah. or, or, or you know or, or who is first or who scored or the, who's got the best stats. 
football, uh, you know, for a long, long while is my way to, um, uh, in a way, to live life. I struggle to see, I, 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 and you've explained it beautifully, and I, I, it, it's clicked a little thing in the back of my head. When I watch, for, when I see football on the telly, I, I, I do see a, a, a low 20, is it, is it 11 people in a team? It is, isn't it? I do see 22 millionaires running around and that instantly for some reason Gwilym, and i don't know why that instantly gets my back up a little bit do you know what i mean well at uh, uh last game i saw which was uh, because of united uh called the heath not one millionaire well I suppose. Uh, in fact uh, none of them uh, get paid perhaps a little bit of expenses you know yeah. petrol car and stuff like that and they uh train three times a week yeah. they love what they do and uh, and I think you may see you have to come to see Bigos United. You will see a different side of 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 the game that you've got in your head. Maybe like you think the football is. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe I'm looking at the Manchester Uniteds and the Arsenal's and the Chelsea's when perhaps I should be looking. Uh, uh, I should be looking at smaller games and smaller teams. Well, football for for many people is 90 minutes of our sport. There's no doubt about that. And mm. and uh, especially the further you are away from from the game itself, from the ground, the more you see those as heroes and, and you see that, that those 90 minutes as the, as, the, as the top of your week. But the closer you are to the game, I think you see a, a different kind of thing. For, for me, a, a Saturday is one of my, my best days of the week mm. uh, because I've got the opportunity. Uh, lately, uh, for the Sky Sports, I used to do, we used to do uh, build-ups for Saturday and Sunday. So I'll be in the Sky from like 12 in the afternoon until 12 in the evening, Saturdays yeah. and Sundays. But lately it's only either Saturday or Sunday, and lately mostly Sundays. So Saturdays is a way to go for lunch, meet people, uh, join them in the clubhouse at, at Bigglesworth United, which is the club I run, mm. then, then get to chat, to chat to, the, to the head coach, to the assistant coach, not just about uh, football, but about everything else, see the game, and then go out again with the friends, have beers, talk about the game, or something else. So as you can see, a football game, for me anyway, lasts about 16 hours on a yeah. Saturday. When you say you run Biggleswade, Gwilym, what, what, what exactly do you... You're the director of football there, aren't you? What, what, what exactly does that mean? What, what's your, what, what do you do? It's a, it's a title, just to call it something else, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm helping trying to um, raise some money. To uh, I've got a vision of where, where we could go. Uh, I've, I've always thought that uh, the key to everything, to any success, to, uh, to improve uh, in football and in life is, is to wear hard and to train and to be coached and be directed in the, in the right way. And that's what we're trying to do at Biggles United with a coaching club. And I've got uh, coaches of the highest caliber you can imagine. Uh, and, and with that, just with the coaching and training, more hours of work at this sport, uh, I think we are uh, improving. And uh, well, results are showing that. But as a club as well, we are growing. We've got uh, from having two teams, now we've got nine teams with, uh, with uh, youth, a youth system. We've got two girls teams, etc. So it's an opportunity to give uh, local boys the chance to be well coached in a way that, you know, I wish I had, I had had that opportunity as a kid. And how come you've ended up over here? You're Spanish, right? So, and and I, I, I don't know much about football, but I know that, that there is a lot of, there are a lot of huge teams in Spain. There's, there's you know, there's a lot of big stars over there. What, why did you decide to come over here? So I was 23, I finished university, and my idea was to, uh, to come to England and learn or improve my English. I had done it in the school for like a year and a half, but mm. it wasn't great. And I remember being driven from the airport, Liverpool Airport. I'd lived in Liverpool for 10 years. From Liverpool Airport to, um, to the home where I was going to stay in, in a room by 
Archie and Alistair, two friends of mine, and I didn't understand a word they said <laughs> on the way there uh, and for the, for the following two months. But uh, I, I came in with the idea of learning English, uh, of trying to develop my career if possible, but, uh, you know, I ended up distributing bread and, and working in a pub and, mm. and doing whatever was possible. And uh, I heard it from other people. If you say, you know, I'm going to England for three months. If you say three months, I'm going somewhere for three months. It seems to be magic words because mm. I've been here for 25 years. <laughs> Not the only person to have said three months and that have been 20 odd years. But, uh, you know, I, I love it. I feel almost as British as, as I feel Spanish. And uh, you say you, you, you work, with, work for Sky. You've also written loads of books about football as well, haven't you? How did they come about? Well, it was, you, we all thought that we have a book in, in ourselves, so somebody gives you the opportunity, and it was all done to being on Sky Sports for a few years, or I and the publisher said, uh, we, should, we should write something, and we couldn't find the theme, and, and one day they rang me, I think it was 25th of May, 2005, uh, I think it was 2005, uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, that was about six hours after Liverpool had won the Champions League final against AC Milan in Istanbul, and uh, I hadn't gone to bed yet because I was in Istanbul celebrating as mm. a Liverpool fan that I am. And they said, uh, you know, we've been talking about finding a theme. Uh, well, this could be the book. And I wrote this one, A Season on the Brink. And then that's it. I thought for me and books, I've just continued working on on, on talk sport for a while with yeah. Adrian Durham and Makoti, Gabriel Makoti, two geniuses at what they do. And then another opportunity rose when uh, when Orion said, "How about if we write about Pep Guardiola?" Well, let's let's do that. Pep helped me. Uh, then he was, uh, if you write about Pep Guardiola, you have to write about Lionel Messi, who is a mystery of a of a human being. Now, it's what do you mean? All right, now listen. Now you've got. What, what do you mean? He's a mystery of a human being. That sounds very intriguing. Well, you've got a a guy that has got everything against him. That all the odds stuck against him. He's short. He's from Argentina. He's from a middle, what, what Argentinians call middle class, but really working class yeah. family. Uh, he's got a hormone deficiency problem. Oh. Uh, you know, he's not wanted in some of the big clubs in Argentina. And he goes and goes for a trial at the other side of the world in Barcelona, uh, hoping that, uh, that, you know, he realizes his dream of being a footballer, just mm. being a footballer. Well, he's gone from that to what we see, uh, somebody who, mm. who has taken the, the level to a completely different level in a consistency that we've never seen before uh, and an efficiency and, 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 and with titles as well to go with it uh, that suggests to me anyway that uh, it's never ever been, no human being has been this good at this sport before. Mm. There, is, there are um, some footballers who are described as... Um, as artists, that the, 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 their performance on the pitch and with the football is so skillful that it goes, it tra- if it goes beyond sport and becomes art. Would you agree with that? Uh, art, for me, is uh, it's, it's what you see in what is done in front of you, be it sculpture or painting or, or, or movies or music. Or, so if, if you watch Messi dribbling five players mm. in a square metre, and it does something for you. That's art. Mm. If it doesn't do anything for you, then, you know, look, look for art somewhere else. But, yes, uh, Messi uh, can do that. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, when, when three, four, five years ago, when he used to run at defenders and, and shoot from outside the box and, and score, that was art as well. George Best used to do that mm. as well. 
Steven Gerrard. There's so many. So, so yeah, it's possible. But it all depends on, on what you perceive and on what you see and what is done in front of your eyes. You say Liverpool's the team you support, obviously, as, as, as well as Biggleswade. Why did you pick Liverpool? Was it, was it because that that's where you stayed for 10 years, or is that the reason you went to Liverpool, because you, were, you, you supported them already? No, well, this, in Spain, uh, at a time when not all the games were televised, uh, Liverpool were always in in television in, in the television because they were always in the European Cup. Mm. So we kind of identify with them a little bit. But uh, I'm an Espanol fan back in Spain, so we never win anything. So I landed in Liverpool and I thought, well, Liverpool is the team that wins everything. This is 1991. They stopped winning from that moment on, <laughs> but never mind. Well, there you go. <laughs> But that was the that was the choice. I thought, all right, well, I've spent half of my life or twenty odd years of my life not winning anything. I'm going to start winning, and that was Liverpool. And once you still you choose a team, that's it. You stuck with it, of course. You can't you can't you can't change. Is that is, is, is honestly? I'm a complete football novice. You, once you've chosen your team, you can't go. Oh, hang on, that team over there is doing a little bit better. I'm going to support those guys. You're stuck. Uh, no, no, it's just a it's frowned upon to yourself. No, no, it's a decision has been made. But to be honest, I love Espanol. I love Liverpool and I've been with them as often as I, as I could. I, I was in Istanbul, I was in the co-finals of Espanyol. Uh, we, we're kind of living a golden age in, in, in the last 15 years or so. But because of United has become my passion, my life and my absolutely everything. Yeah. So they are beyond anything else I've ever done in my life. I've only ever been to one professional football match um, and it was Luton Town versus Millwall. And what did you think? I was terrified, Gwilym. There was a real... Apparently those two teams have history. I don't know if that's... A, but I was told they have history. Um, and I kind of enjoyed it, but it was there was a real tension, uh, you know, b- between the two uh, the two supporting factions. There was, there was a lot of nastiness and a little bit of racism going on between each other. Um, and I, I was terrified, if I'm completely honest... Was that a bad choice to start with? Perhaps it was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps it was. You shouldn't have gone to a derby to start with. You should have gone to a more, I don't know. They're all, they're all passionate fans, of course. Passionate, but, yes. yes. When there, is, there is history as well. Perhaps it's not uh, the most enjoyable of experiences. Um, what's this, uh, this show you've made for TalkSport? What's it about and when's it on? Well, we are talking football, but we're not talking football. Is Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe being an, an English coach, and that's how we call the show, Eddie Howe, an English coach, uh, this is somebody who does things differently, uh, and you, you can see and feel his passion because I followed him for two days. Uh, I, you don't know football, but it's not normal that you're allowed to talk to, the, mm. uh, to a head coach like that the day before a game, during the day, so on the day of the game in the morning when they do the, the tactical chat, uh, then when, when they go and train uh, in the morning of the game, because it's not usual to do you, that. You have full access. Do. You got to go and, so, and see everything. So yeah. I spoke to him just before the game and after, etc. So that, that uh, allowed me to see a perspective on how he leaves the, the, the game, how he leaves his profession, and, uh, and how he reacts to things that happen during, during that day. So we put it all together in a two-hour show, and, and I hope you enjoy it. I think that's on the, uh, the 4th, uh, Saturday. Saturday. Oh, God, it's February already. Flipping heck. <laughs> what is going on with time? So that's on, that's on this Saturday. What time did you say it was, Gwilym? Well, good question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, have I asked too much? <laughs> We're going to have to find out. I can't remember now. We'll, I know it's a Saturday. We'll have I a look. I think it's 8 o'clock, 8 to 10, I think it is. Okay, we'll have a look yeah. and we'll make sure that we, we give it a plug. Hey, listen, man, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's really nice to talk to you, Gwilym. Good show, Ian. Thank, Enjoy yourself. Thank Bye-bye. you very much indeed. Gwilym Balagay there. 
Yeah, maybe, maybe Luton Town versus Millwall was perhaps not the best. My mate Justin said I'd love it. I was terrified. Oh, I was terrified. Um, it got really, it did get a little bit racist. Passion, I guess you could call it. 0344 499 1000 is the telephone number. We've got some more guests coming up, but we haven't got any for a little while. So um, now will be a good time for you to call in. Listen, we've done sports for an hour and 20 minutes. We've got another half hour of sports at the end. I'd like it if you called in about the sports and if you tried to convince me and tell me what your sport was and why you think perhaps I, uh, I, I, I might enjoy that. You can call in about the usual nonsense as well. Don't, it, it's not a, a blanket ban. 0344 499 1000 is the telephone number. Late Nights with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. The radio show for people who know the best part of the day is the night. Late Night Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Coming up, um, two more actual, actual legends. John Virgo and Tanny Gray Thompson. And I still can't remember what I'm... Sp- we, it, 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 the, the Tanny Gray Thompson interview could have gone... Well, it could have gone pear-shaped at the start. And I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to call you because she's a lady, a baroness. Um, but luckily she took it in good... Um, ever since we had Tony Robinson on, and I didn't call him Sir Tony Robinson, um, and he was fine about it, but <laughs> I think there was a slight tone. Um I've been really nervous when you speak to, you know, titled people. And I don't want to be rude, you know. So that gets off to a weird start. Um, but that's coming up later on. We recorded that before the uh, before the show. Hassan! Hello, Ian. Ian, I'll tell you what Catherine didn't tell you. Yeah. Is that um, she invited me as a guest. I'm the proper guest. Well, you're, so. you're the proper guest. What, what are you... But, you're uh, blind. You can't play sports. Oh, Shut up. I'm, I'm, I'm the first Asian player, the first Pakistani, the first Muslim to play for an England blind cricket team. I mean, I know I wouldn't make it now with Trump around, but cheese. Well, exactly. If there's a tour of America, mate, you're staying here. All right, fella? <laughs> well, America uh, don't have a team, so I'm safe. Is that, is that true? You're the first... Hang on. You're the first Pakistani Muslim player Asian. for the for the England's blind cricket team? Yep. Yep. The first ever... Um, they've got Muslim players now, and in fact, they're on tour in India as we speak. Well, I couldn't wait go. Wait a minute, why aren't you with them? Um, oh. A few reasons I've spoken to you about before, and yeah. one of other reasons. Okay. So okay. I just had to kind of take a break this winter. Yeah. And um, now, how is blind cricket played? Is it with an? Is it with a noisy ball? All right, so basically, not everyone on a blind team is totally blind. No. So that would be absurd. Yeah, no, there's so, degrees of it, of course, of, of uh, Absolutely, so there's like three categories. Yeah. Like B1, B2, B3, sounds like a cartoon. Um, B1 is totally blind, B2s can see up to five metres, and B3s up to 20 metres. Okay. And that, uh, and the ball also has ball bearings in, so it sounds like an annoying baby's rattle. Yeah. Um, but obviously the umpires are sighted, and... There's well, are they, Hassan? Are, are they, Hassan? Hey, eh? I'm making a joke for cricket fans. Are they, though? Are they really? Are they? You, yeah. I, from some of the um, results I've seen, I'd be surprised. 
Ian, I love the way how you're pretending you know so much about sport. I know! Well, this is the thing, Hashtag. <laughs> Let me just explain the, the kind of how we... Because when we, we, it was, you know, it was discovered by me on Sunday, we were actually doing this show. I couldn't yeah. quite... What I was nervous about was I couldn't get my head around how I was going to do it. And I initially thought I was going to do it completely straight and I was going to yeah. gen up on sports stories. <laughs> like when we did the Mean Show, okay? Remember yeah. the Mean Show? And we did it yeah, completely, like completely straight. Yeah. I thought we were going to... I initially thought, oh, let's do it like that. And then this morning in the shower, or this afternoon, because I didn't get up till two o'clock, um, it, it came to me. It's like, no, no, no. I'm gonna te- I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna be honest and admit I don't get sports and see if people can can either convince me or or give me the key that will unlock mm. the excitement of sports. So so that's why we're kind of going about it this way. Well, you're, you're doing well, and, and I'll tell you what. I've also trained with the England blind football team. Now that is mentally and <laughs> that, that, I tell you, Ian. I'll tell you, what, mate. If you want to die, then you go and play blind football because that's four blind people. Running at each other. I, 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 I running at each other. To see that. Mate, it's, it's epic. The keepers are fighting, but the players are totally blind. And I'll tell you what, you've got to, if you ever want to see something, you see Brazilian blind team, they do tricks and flicks like the But are they team. actually blind? I mean, is there, how do they, do they do that thing where like the referee goes up to them and just like flicks his fingers in their eyes to see <laughs> if they flinch? Is that how you do it? <laughs> No, no, no. They've got blindfolds on. <laughs> that would be good. Because <laughs> um, uh, I do, um, yeah, it is, it, it is incredible. I, I mean, I, I do think if I was blind, I'd just sit at home and do nothing. I wouldn't, but you do see that it's amazing. You, you, all kind of sports can be played with people of all visual impairments. And I realise saying that is quite a patronising sentence, of course, but it, I do oh. find it amazing. Oh, mate, look, you, you've got to look at 2012 and what that did yeah, for the country. Yeah. Paralympics was amazing. There's, there's a lot more inspirational people than me. You know, people who haven't got legs and yeah. they're running and et cetera, et cetera. It's just outstanding. Well, there was that um, um, South African fella who shot his missus. <laughs> he was inspiring for a bit, and then Oscar Pistorius. He was Oscar Pistorius yeah. was inspiring for a bit. Do you remember? Was it 2012 when he he was he ran and he came second? And he stormed off. He stormed out of the arena and with or the stadium. And within seconds, he tweeted that the other guy cheated or something. And from that yeah. moment on, I thought, he's a wrong un. He's yeah. a wrong. I didn't think he he was that wrong and he was going to go off and murder someone. But I thought, he's a wrong un, that Pistorius. <laughs> it just has expensive blades. People do say that, though. Like, people who run with those blades... The most people with most expensive wheelchairs and the most expensive blades are the ones who win. Yeah, yeah I was wondering, and I, I did mean to um, to ask um, uh, Tanny Gray Thompson, but we didn't really get round to it. And I'm kind of glad that we didn't do a hey, let's do a dis- let's do a disabled uh, wheelchair interview. It was just talking about sports, but I do yeah. I do wonder if there is like a standard uh, uh, if there's like a standard level of wheelchair and um, uh, the the the, the, the um, Things that come in, what they what they called that the Oscar Pistorius runs with, if there is a standardisation for them, because otherwise you could just keep getting fancier and fancier, couldn't you? Like yeah, motor racing. Are. Yeah, I've heard that the most uh, expensive ones tend to win. Um, you see, but then I suppose I don't know. I don't know. But, but um, do, do your boys like any sport? Are they into any sport? Do they watch it, play it? The uh, we don't watch it at home on the telly and that's just because you know i i know they have got friends who like chelsea because their dads watch chelsea and that's that's partly why i'm doing the show like this tonight because i do think oh they're not 
they're not being exposed to that. But then that's fine they're not exposed. They do, the Elders plays rugby on a Sunday. Um, and he does judo at school. Um, but I think he's getting a bit bored of the judo. Um, and I think he plays tennis. So, you know, they are being presented with, with, with a lot of opportunities to travel these things. But, but the, the eldest is very, is, is a bit of a, a bookworm. And I think the youngest is going to be the one that, that, that gets a bit more physical because he's yeah, nuts. Well, I always find it strange when blokes tell me they don't like sport. I don't know why. I, I, I instantly think that maybe they're. Yeah, well, no, it's, they... it's no, it, it, it uh, and I've and I know because I'm the person that says I don't like sports, and I get the well, you must like some sports. They're like, no, it's like I don't <laughs> no. mind snooker, I don't mind darts, but um, I I don't, you know, and I I've never enjoyed playing a game of football mainly because I wasn't very good and I didn't get picked at school. Saying that, about eight ten years ago, um, a friend of my wife was getting married, and for her husband's stag. They had a, a like a five-a-side football game. It was in the afternoon before the boozing and all of that, and um, and I didn't know anyone there, but I sort of did enjoy a bit running around kicking a football about. Sort of, I did enjoy it a bit actually, but then someone fell and broke their leg. <laughs> And I said, oh, I'll take him to the hospital. And that was kind of my get out. I'll take him to the hospital. Um, so, it, 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 you know, but I, I, I sort of did enjoy. Maybe part of it is the way it's presented to you at school. And at school, it wasn't, pre- football was not presented to me in a particularly um, satisfying way. I wasn't very good at football. And I was told I wasn't very good at football. And therefore, I was excluded from a lot of football. Uh, well, Ian, you just stick to Call of Duty, mate. I think you're right, Hassan. Thank you very much indeed. We've got um, John, um, who is the same guy, I think, who emails under the name Dave, emailed in. He's paying attention to the show. When are you snowflakes and L-words ever going to go over Brexit and the election of Donald Trump? Get over it and move on. I, I'm over it and I'm moving on. We're talking about sports, John, slash, Dave, slash, whatever your name is, you weirdo. Um, we're talking about sports tonight. Alan's on next. Late Nights with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. Late Night Conversation. Worth losing sleep over. Ian Lee. On air and off the leash. On Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Well, isn't Gwilym a gentleman? Isn't he saying nice things on Twitter? Um, I won't retweet. I'll just heart them. Oh, three... 444991000 is the telephone number. And it's always when we're doing these themed shows um, and when we have guests on, and more guests than we've, we've ever had on. Well done, Catherine, who's played a blind again, and all of these absolute, you know, top sporting people on the show, genuinely top sporting people on the show, um, to agree to come on and talk to this idiot who don't know nothing. I wonder how many times... Actually, I, I, okay, let me say what I was going to say and then I'll, I'll, I'll clarify a bit. I wonder how many times they've been interviewed by people who don't know what they're talking about. Actually, probably quite a lot. Thinking about it, probably quite a lot. Um, because when you do interviews with people, you get your little facts things and, and, and quite often uh, on radio shows and TV shows in particular, all the questions are written. It's all written for them. So they don't even need to know anything. They just need to sit there and read the questions. So actually, Gwillem and Gail and, and uh, you know, all of these people, it, I imagine it's it's quite refreshing for the person to go, right, I don't really know anything about you and I don't like what you do. 
Tell me why I should like it. it that, that must be quite refreshing for them to have that, that honesty, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I'm enjoying this evening. I don't know if you are, dear listener. Um, 0344. 499-1000 is the telephone number. Call in with, with, you know, with, with sports and stuff. You can also call in about other bits and pieces. Uh, don't worry. The nonsense continues. And Oh, by the way, thank you to everyone who came last night to see me, me and Kath live in concert. Um, th- th- we, we, we did a show last night in front of 100 people. Um, and it got, it got a little bit penis-heavy. A little bit penis heavy. It won't always be as blue as that. Um, but uh, thank you to everyone who came. We're doing another one on Feb- February the 19th. If you want tickets, ticketsource.co.uk slash ian-lee. Ticketsource.co.uk slash ian-lee. And you'll be able to um, hopefully hear um, uh, some of our work on Thursday. If you go, you know what you need to do. You know what you need to do, guys. And don't forget, you can download a podcast of this show as well. Uh, we do a daily best of um and you go to iTunes, and if you type in Ian Lee, Bishy Bashy Boshy, up it pops. Reviews and ratings are especially welcome. Oh, Alan, stay there. Catherine, can you get on that microphone, please? Because, 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 there's sort of an update from the um, the scammers last week, isn't oh, there? Yeah. I saw you tweeting something. What happened? Yeah, one of our listeners grassed him up to the company that owns the phone number. How did they know who owns the phone number? Oh, no. Isn't that funny? They know some stuff, the people that listen to this. But so a listener, what, tweeted them and said, oi? and said, you need to have a uh, listen to this. Oh, brilliant. You need to have a look at this phone number, and the company that owns the phone number has blocked them. Oh, good for them. Good well, for them. you know what will happen. They'll pop up somewhere oh, else, pop but up, it's still something, isn't they'll it? They'll pop up somewhere else, but can, can that... Can those details... Um, I mean, hey, that's great, that's blocked. But could those details of that... Because the phone company will know... Will have names and addresses and bank accounts. Can't they? Can't... I'm guessing there should be some sort of procedure for someone... I bet there's not. Maybe we should tweet them. Can you tweet them? Yeah, all right. And say, will you be passing that info on to the police? I think the punter asked them that, but I can ask them as well. Yeah, yeah. Get, get asked. Because it seems obvious that they've got crooks who are stealing that they should um, pass the information on to the police mm-hmm. and freeze their bank accounts. I, it seems obvious to me. We'll do that. Thank you. Um, and uh, there's a Rod Argent from the Zombies bonus pod as well that's, um, that's gone out. So you, you can get those podcasts. I, I know not uh, some of you don't like iTunes, and that's fine. don't quite understand it, but it's fine. If you do get the pods from, uh, from iTunes, yeah, if you um, leave a, a rating and a review, it just helps. Even if it's just a one-word review saying, great. Or pony, but it's got five star rate. It just helps us um, get seen by more people because of the weird way that iTunes, um, the charts work. So thank you for that. Um, but you can get it on um, like Pocket Cast, I think, and um, um, your usual podcast provider. If you type in Ian Lee, uh, it, it will pop up. Alan! Hip, 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 sir. Hip, 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 Alan. Now, you're a sporting man, of course. Yeah, I'm into me GGs. You're into it? Now, ho- why horses? Well, horse racing, because it's the thrill of a chase. But what, where, where, what is the thrill of it, though? You say the thrill of the chase. What, what, what does that mean? Well, there's two different types of horse racing. Because you've got horse racing on the flat. Yes. Or you've got horse racing on the jumps. Right, which do you prefer? The jumps. Why? Because 
I know it's, it's, we're waiting longer and the danger is greater. So the danger is, um, is part of the thrill, is it? Yeah. Why? Why, why do you want those horses to be injured? Um, but, but can I tell you, one horse died, but it was oh. after the race had finished. Well, but hang on, we don't want horses dying, do we? No, but it was bleeding on the lung, and it had no other serious condition, so it was a freak na- nature accident. That, so- that sounds absolutely horrendous. But the Grand National's the worst offender of all. Yeah, um, but, but why do you want to see, um, why do you want to see horses dying? No, but they've improved safety over the years. <laughs> but, they, but you just tell me about a horse that died! No, after the race had finished. Um, isn't all horse racing fixed? Wasn't there, wasn't there a story a while ago about it being completely fixed? That was Godolphin and the doping scandal. Oh, I, well, well, they don't do that anymore. No, the trainer who's done that has been banned for life. Okay, and what's this thing about... uh, This is what I don't get about horse racing, right? Is that they make the horse wear weights. Do they still do that? Well, in jump racing they do. So they weigh down the horse depending (laughs) on the weight of the jockey. That seems nuts to me. Well, the jockey weighs about ten stone... Uh, the horse has got to carry eleven stone ten. They've got to make up a stone. Why is the why is the horse, sure, why is the horse got to weigh eleven carry eleven stone ten? Surely that's part of the that that's part of the experience. Is, is well, you, you get it's, lighter and lighter. It's the combined weight of the jockey and the saddle. That's what a horse has got. To but say I don't that understand way. why they've got to all carry the same. There's a brilliant story by Kurt Vonnegut, my favourite favourite writer. And it's set in a dystopian future, and it's um, about how all um, people are handicapped. As in the, I'm using that word in the sporting term because I know it's not a word that's particularly in vogue at the moment. They are ha- so if they are, if they've got brilliant vision, like eyesight, they wear glasses that brings their eyesight down a bit. If they're brilliant dancers, they have to wear weights that that stop them moving. If they are, um, if they're brilliant thinkers. They have to wear a machine that makes a noise in their ears, so they're distracted. And it uh, it feels like this is what's doing what they're doing with horse racing. Surely, part of it should be you've got a fit horse that is well fit, and then you get like the the lightest jockey you can, and then that's you know that that should be fair enough. They go and weigh the horse down. So we want me George Orwell, nineteen eighty four. Well, though, isn't it? Isn't it though, Alan? Yeah. I I don't know if I can classify horse racing as an actual well, sport. But, but like I say, there's two types of horse yeah. racing. There's jump racing, yes. and there's racing on the flat. But I don't know if I could consider either of those t- to be a, to be a sport because you're just you're just sitting down for I'd, ten I'd minutes. I'll buy a financial venture with it. Sorry. You, you forgot the financial venture which comes with horse racing. Go on, give me the, the betting. dates. The betting, yeah. And making money out of it. Yeah. If you put money on a horse and yeah. it wins, yeah. you'd be quizzing. Yeah. But if you lose money on a horse, 
We'll say that You're quids out. Tony, quids out. And you go for the next one to make your money back. I'm I'm not convinced on the the horse racing, Alan. I've got another sport. Go on. Wrestling. Thanks very much for calling, Alan. Oh three four four. Four nine nine. Someone said. Someone tweeted me at the weekend. Can we do talk about wrestling? I said no. It's a sports special. Wrestling is not a sport. Hey, what's that? Um, uh, mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts. That looks. Now that is that prop. A is that proper fighting? Because I've never seen it. Right? Is it proper fighting or is it showbiz? Ed is uh, nodding. You're a very strange Christian, Ed. Some of the, the more and more I find out about you, the, the, the less I think you've actually read the Bible. Um, okay, so we, it's, it's proper fighting. That, it's funny, we, we talked about this um, the, the, later on in the show. Ethically, I shouldn't really like boxing, right? But there is something about seeing two massive blokes leathering each other that I find... Very exciting on a, on a gut level. Do you know what I mean? I find it very, um, very powerful on, on the primitive plane. I think I could dig the mixed martial arts. I mean, that's, um, that's vicious, isn't it? Are they allowed now? How mixed is it? Could I go in there with a set of nunchucks and, and do that? It, I mean, is it that mixed that you're, you're in there and you're getting battered and you just reach behind? <laughs> Does it go that, that far? Catherine's saying it's not Thunderdome. Well, um, it's my throwing stars. I had some throwing stars. My parents were nuts in the 80s, right? Because I was really into my karate and my Bruce Lee films. And when I was 11, I was allowed to watch Bruce Lee films. Like, uh, like proper X-rated. And, you know, there's a bit of booby in there as well as a, a lot of uh, karate. Um, but then we'd go up to London to, like, martial arts shops and I had throwing stars. I had nunch- loads of pairs of nunchuckers. I had a three-sectional staff. I had um, those um, blades where you've got a handle and it's like a sort of little trident thing. Can't remember what they were called. Begins with an S. I had a butterfly knife that I bought off Roger Scott's son. All these, all these weapons, like proper butterfly knife, sharp, you know. This, uh, nuts, absolutely nuts, and my parents com- were completely fine with it. <laughs> it's ridiculous, terrible, terrible. The eighties, awful, awful time. Oh, listen, guys, here's a tip: we haven't got any phone calls lined up, so if you want to give me a call now, would be an excellent, excellent time. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Late nights with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. Late night, Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. It's a weird time. Quarter to twelve on a Monday night. It's a real. It's it's nothing, is it? It's an it's a real nothingy time. Quarter to twelve on a Friday night. Oh yeah, flipping heck. It quarter to twelve on a Thursday night. I'll give you that. Yeah. But quarter to twelve on a Monday night, it's like there. It's a little bit there. Yeah, I was, oh, should be. I should probably be asleep. So I've got work tomorrow. I just, I, oh, but um, we're here and we are um, we are carrying on and we are rocking and a rolling. It's a sports special. You can call in about other stuff. Um, 
if you want, of course. We've got um, Tanny Gray-Thompson coming up later on and John Virgo, both of whom are... Ap- I'd heard of them. I, I, knew, I, knew, I knew who they were. Um, and uh, we recorded those before the show. Very funny, very delightful um, people. John Virgo, 70 years. I, I, I can't get over it. He's 70 years old. When did that happen? Last year, probably. But it does make you 70 years old. Anyway, he's very funny. And we talk about, we talk about this clip, which um, uh, uh, I'm going to tweet it, actually, in a minute. We talk about this clip of Ronnie O'Sullivan um, playing virtual pool. So he's got the goggles on, right? And he's holding these, these sort of joysticks and he can't see anything. And he's in this room. He stood up in this room playing virtual pool. And you get a glimpse of, of what he can see. And he can see a pool hall. And there's a pool table in front of him and he's going for the shot. And he leans over to take the shot in real life. And he goes to lean on the table. And of course the table's not there and he falls flat on his face. It's absolutely brilliant. I'll find it in a minute and I'll, I'll, um, I'll tweet it out. Because it's the funniest thing. I could just watch that on a loop. It's so delightful. And Ronnie O'Sullivan, I met him once very briefly. He always comes across, I think he's a decent bloke, Ronnie O'Sullivan. I think he's had his, his troubles and his issues, but he always comes across as a decent bloke. And that kind of makes it funnier. <laughs> that kind of makes it funnier. I don't know why. Jerry! Oh, flipping it. Oh. Jerry, you're right. Yeah, speak to one of your ex colleagues the other day. Uh oh. Sean Boyce. Who? Sean Boyce. Who's Sean he's Boyce? Here. Yeah. Who's that? You see the the, the spit on rise with the, the gambling bit on rise is come Oh, I got flipping it. I I vague. I mean, oh yeah. Well, how do you remember that? I just remember. I spoke to him. So then we felt to take him. He oh. said. He enjoyed the days with you. Did he? Oh, now I feel bad. I do vaguely remember that, didn't I? I think I came up with a rude um, rhyme for his uh, for his name. I don't know. I, don't, I didn't study that much. Yeah, no, we... Um, oh, Jerry's gone. Get get Jerry back. Let me find that. Ronnie O'Sullivan, virtual reality. It's such a funny clip. I'm going to tweet that now because it really is just absolutely... Absolutely joyous. Oh, hang on a second. Ah, dearie me. At Ian Lee, of course, if you want to follow, I-A-I-N-L-E-E. Here's Ronnie O'Sullivan playing virtual pool. The funniest thing ever. There we go. Ah, dearie me. We We may have lost Jerry. We may have lost Jerry. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the telephone number. Right, where's my bit? We're going to dive into the papers. We're going to dive into the papers and um, find some bits and pieces. There's not really a lot. Um, there's not really a lot in the papers. Let's have a look. What have I written here? Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Let's have a look at this. What's this? Oh, yeah, the weirdest story. And I heard this as I was driving in on Radio 4. This is the weirdest, weirdest story. An elderly American. It's not weird, actually. It's just mean. It's an incredible story. This will be a movie. 
an elderly American dementia patient was flown to Britain and dumped in a car park by his family, it has emerged. Isn't that weird? Roger Curry was taken from his home in Los Angeles by his wife and son to the UK where he was abandoned without identification in November 2015. And I only half heard this on Radio 4, so I didn't get all of it. It's a Panorama programme. Panorama have done a programme uh, on it, um, which went out tonight, so you might have seen the programme. I might watch it tomorrow afternoon on the iPlayer. Um, if you saw it, give us a call. Oh, three, four. I really need to do a burp. Sorry. Oh, oh, the, 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 these new pills I'm on. One of the side effects is terrible, terrible. Um, what do they? Is reflux? Is that the word? I've got trap wind and reef, and it just makes me very gassy. And I've taken a Zantac. Let me just see if I've got, I might not have any more Zantac left. I need to do a big burp, and it's just. Have I got any? Uh, oh, I've got one. Look at that. Here we go, baby. Here we go. Here we go. Come to daddy. Oh, it's one of the side effects. As well as um, um, it feeling a little bit trippy, um, I got this really bad trapped indigestion. So all show, I've been like... <gasps> They're watching the video of Ronnie O'Sullivan. It's good, isn't it? Isn't it funny? Oh, honestly, it really is beautiful. My, my friend Mel reminded me of that the other day. It, it is so... It's one of those clips that's just delightful. I talked to John Virgo about it. We have a, a good laugh. Um, Roger Curry was uh, taken from his home in Los Angeles by his wife and son to the UK, where he was abandoned without identification in November 2015. Imagine. Imagine doing that. Listen, I know that, that people that have, have got dementia, they can be hard work, right? Of course they can. They can be hard work. But taking them to another country several thousand miles away and dumping them in a car park? What? The 76-year-old was found at Hereford bus station in the company of two men who flagged down a passing ambulance. As paramedics assessed him, one of the men, described as having an American accent but younger than Mr Curry, vanished from the scene. It doesn't say it. But the implication is that was his son, isn't it? That's how I re- re- read that. doesn't say it outright, but that's, that's what I read from that. And there would be no way of... Because of, of, he wouldn't have any fingerprints. He wouldn't have any records, dental records in this country. Mr Curry was cared for at a nursing home while police and social services spent months trying to find out who he was. The pensioner was finally flown back to America eight months later and is now under the care of health authorities in Los Angeles. Right. According to investigation by Panorama being screened tonight, court papers filed in L.A. state in late 2015, Mr. Curry was taken surreptitiously to England by his wife, Mary Curry, and his son, Kevin Curry, and abandoned there. Let me read that sentence again, because it's the most chilling sentence. In late 2015, Mr. Curry was taken surreptitiously to England by his wife, Mary Curry, and his son, Kevin Curry, and abandoned there. Oh, 
Flipping heck. Imagine. The mystery surrounding Mr Curry's identity led to numerous theories as to how he ended up in a Hereford car park. He appeared to have been well looked after and was dressed from head to toe in new clothes from Tesco. So they they changed his clothes and everything so that to make it harder to trace him. This is not some slapdash thing. This is a plan. This is an actual plan. How can we make Dad disappear? As reported in the mail last March, he was called Roger by staff caring for him after they heard him use the name Roger Curry, but police didn't know whether that was his real name or not. Um, The pensioner told doctors and care home staff he was not from the area and had been training nearby, but said little else. Hang on a minute. I don't want to lose Jerry. Yes, Jerry! Hello, I'm back. That's right, go on. You got a minute? Yeah. Well, Sean Boyce, he sounds like a nice guy. What's the song you thought of for him? The what? The song you... Rude, 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 you're on about. Who are you... Oh, hang on, who are you on about? I got on boys. Oh, Sean sure, Boyce. I don't really remember, to be honest. It was... It was that was that was like 14 years ago. It's amazing, my memory is. You can... It was, it was better than mine. I don't know what I did last week, Jerry. Yeah. I did the... I forgot about the sea. I forgot about the show yesterday, I must have missed The Sorry. show last night, The Rabbit Hole, was a <laughs> success. Um, I'll be... The, are you doing up north, Jay? Are you coming up north? Well, look, this is the plan. We're looking for a venue in the West Midlands, which is not a county, um, and we're looking for one sort of Manchester way. That's that. We want a, a venue in either place that's cheap, stroke free, on a sun, uh, free on a Sunday night. There's a problem Macclesfield. Huh? There's a problem Macclesfield. In Thecklesfield? But the thing is, we need to go to somewhere like Birmingham or Manchester. We need to go to a city so that people will come. And we want it that it's got a hold between about 40 and 90, and it's got to have really good Wi-Fi. My phone. That can't just like... Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, we, need, we need Wi-Fi for the Skype for it to work. That's the whole raison d'etre. That's a sports show, really. I don't know. You're not listening? No, You've started. turned into Caddick, you have, not listening. No, it's going It's going all right. We've got John Virgo coming up in a bit. It's Nick and Lippy, my It's Exactly, and I, I held it's off singing that Jim to Davidson. him. Jim Davidson, is he still going? Jim Davidson, unfortunately, still is going. Jerry, listen, yeah. I've got to go, because we're coming up to the news now. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, the only way I know, I should have mentioned this to John Virgo, the only way I know the colour of the balls that you have is from that. Pot the red, then screw back for the yellow, green, brown, blue, pink, then black. Snooker loopy nuts are we. We're all snooker loopy. Uh, that's the only way I, know, uh, way I know the order of the balls. Oh uh, three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Late nights with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Another hour to go to excellent guests who like sport and are good sports. And your phone call. This is phone calls, please. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. We're talking sports, but we can talk about anything you want. Don't worry, it's not going to be completely strict. Late nights with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. Late night, Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Where I'll always be Every stop I make 
Radio Sports Special special this evening, where we have um, been exploring various kinds of sports. I, I feel like I would like to... It would be nice to, to, on a Saturday afternoon, say to the boys, right, shall we go and watch... You know, but I don't know what that is. Um, and we've had people from football, we've had um, people from badminton, we've got John Virgo coming on later on... Um, so we'll see, but no one has, has quite convinced me. I don't think I'm ever going to be convinced about football because uh, football is um, is bobbins. Here's the weird thing, though. I enjoy playing FIFA on the Xbox. I re- I really enjoy a bit of FIFA, but I don't like football at all. So uh, what's that all? About? I like sitting there going, "Oh yeah," but I don't like sitting there going, "Whoa yeah." Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the telephone number. If you want to give us a call, um, you can do. Uh, we're talking about other bits and pieces as well. And I'm going to finish reading this story about the wife and the son who dumped um, their d- husband, stroke father, with dementia from America, and they dumped him in the UK. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that terrible, though? Really? Absolutely awful. Of course, but living with someone with dementia can be um, it can be frustrating, and it can be hard work, and it can be um, too much for some people. You know, it can be too much. But um, dumping them over here, Kath typed up on my screen, and of course, of course, of course, they came from America. They dumped them over here. Pourquoi? Free healthcare. That would probably cost an absolute fortune in the states. I would imagine. 
Um, as reported in the mail last March, he was called Roger by staff caring for him after they heard him use the name Roger Curry, but police didn't know whether that was his real name or not. The pensioner had told doctors and care home staff he was not from the area and had been training nearby, but said little else. Last year, Sergeant Sarah Bennett of West Mercia Police said, we have a possible name, but we have nothing else. Um, we have no identity documents, no indication of where he's from or any family. We've trawled through the CCTV. We've also contacted the National Crime Agency. We've gone to Interpol. We've done a fingerprint search. We've done a DNA search, and that hasn't yielded any results. <laughs> However, the clue to his identity came following appeal an appeal on BBC Midlands in March last year. <laughs> so the police have done all this, right? They've done a DNA search, fingerprint, been to Interpol, done all that. No one thought to Google him. <laughs> After watching the news report, viewer Debbie Cocker searched the internet and found an old picture that looked like a younger version of the man. This is the thing that I heard when I heard it on the news. She spent like an hour and a half Googling and found a picture of him in the 50s. The police didn't think of doing that. DNA, yeah. Fingerprint, yeah. Interpol, yeah. Google, what? Google him. You're joking. Nah, Google it. Nah, it would be stupid. Would you not think, even if you were a copper, and you'd be at home, bored, going, that fella, that fella. Let me just let me just have a look on Google and see what comes up. The photo came from a 1958 yearbook. I mean, I'm saying that. I don't know if I'd have recognised him from the picture. He's got the, the um, Kirk Douglas chin, so maybe... The photo came from a 1958 yearbook for Edmonds High School in Washington State, and it showed an 18-year-old student called Roger Curry. Investigators then tracked down the Roger Curry pictured in the yearbook. Oh, look at this. To a burnt-out house in an affluent area. I've got, I've got to watch this panorama. In a, well, I don't, because I've got the story here now. Uh... <laughs> to a burnt-out house in an affluent suburb of Los Angeles. After being shown photographs... Oh, gosh, here we go. I've not read this bit. Let's see, let's see what's going on, shall we? After being shown photographs, neighbours identified the mystery man as Mr Curry, a former nurse who is married with two children. They then told how his family had been hit by tragedy. In November 2014, the family's house burnt down in the middle of the night. Neighbours did not see them again until August 2015 when they found Mr Curry and his wife, who is also ill, camping out in the yard of their burnt-out house. Oh, my gosh. Their son, Kevin, had been bringing them food and they appeared to have been locked in behind the fence around the house. Neighbour Xenia Leon told Panorama that emergency services were shocked by what they found. Oh, dear. She claimed they overheard the couple discussing what had happened and said of Mr and Mrs Curry... They were talking together, and they said they were here the night the house burnt down. Miss Leon said Mr Curry was upset about his circumstances 
adding he was in tears. This is a big burly macho man in tears saying, who does this to their parents? This is... This is sending chills down my spine. Kevin Curry told Panorama, which was screened last night, that he had nothing to do with the abandonment of his father in England. He said his father became ill when they were visiting England on holiday and that he asked a friend to take him to hospital, but he could not explain why he'd left Mr Curry in England for eight months without telling anyone who he was. Because of the high cost of care in America, elderly people... Oh, gosh. Elderly people are sometimes abandoned at hospitals in a practice called granny dumping. A man... Well, this is an intriguing last paragraph, which, we, of course, we can't, we can't um, dwell on too much. A man in his 50s from Taunton, Somerset, was arrested last April on suspicion of kidnapping Mr Curry. He is on police bail. Oh, he's not being charged, so we can say what we want. Can we? Don't know. Best not to, just to be on the safe side. Granny dumping! Imagine! In what, um, and, uh, until about um, uh, uh, ten days ago, was the greatest country on the planet. They have a thing called granny dumping. Flipping heck! It makes sense, of course, because I imagine that, that, well, because of the high cost of care in America... So, um, the family have to pay for all care, do they? Gosh. Being someone who has, um, seen how much care costs and, uh, how much, well, how would that, well, so what, do they have to pay for all of it then? Even if they're, I don't know. What a mess. Hey, what a mess. Flip it, heck. 0344-499-1000 is the telephone number. Here's something, and I knew this would be a flop. I knew it would be a flop. I called it out, and I called it out, and I called it out, and people kept going, no, 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 it won't be a flop, be good. No, 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 this time it's different. No, 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 Sky are behind it. No, 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 Sony are releasing games for it. 3D TV. It's gone. Good. I knew it. I knew it. It looks wicked, right? Of course it looks wicked, but and I and I even toyed with the idea of buying a 3D TV and they cost like 5 grand and then you had to buy the glasses at about 70 quid a pop, right? And I kind of toyed with it back in the day, but I'm glad I didn't because they've pulled the flipping plug on it. Once described as the future of home entertainment, it looks as if 3D TV has gone a bit well flat. Ha 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 jokes. In a sign that the technology could be heading for the scrap heap, LG and Sony, the last two major manufacturers, have announced they will no longer make 3D sets. I did see one through, because I had to do a report for the one show. (laughs) The one show. I did reports for the one show. And they were soul-destroying. They could take like two days to film. 400 quid. For two days were i mean in the great scheme of things it's all right but i remember we had to go where did we have to go somewhere we had to stay somewhere and film a thing about oh we had to we had to film a report on the people that replace electricity cables when they fall down flipping it it was half boring and then we were there for extra long because the the guy the director who i thought was a bit of a knob 
wanted to go and visit his family who lived up that way. Flipping heck. I mean, really, I got I got booted off off. I got booted from the one show once I'd um, uh, phoned up Five Live and um, had a go at Dwayne Chambers. Um, Margaret Thatcher's daughter, whatever her name was, got booted off after using the N word in the green room, and then someone else got booted off for um, being sexually inappropriate. At least, at least I wasn't the sexually inappropriate person with the wandering hands. Deary, deary me. Um, but I did a th- report on uh, the one show um, uh, about 3D TV, and there was one that was brilliant where you didn't need the goggles for it. You could what you could sit there and watch it, and it was 3D. But 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 it, I had it had a tiny. I think the phrase is convergence point. So you had to be only one person could see it in 3D. You had to be sat in exactly the right position for it to work. And if someone was sat, even if they were sat right next to you, it, it wouldn't work. So that didn't take off. Uh, Samsung, the only other significant maker, stopped last year. Um, a lack of quality films and programs using 3D is thought to be a factor, as long as people, as well as people being reluctant to sit in their living rooms wearing chunky 3D glasses. Um, the spokesman for Sony said, "Listen to this. Listen to this for complete mumbo jumbo." Based on market trends, we decided not to support 3D for our 2017 models. <laughs> Manufacturers are now focusing. Here we go on newer technologies such as high dynamic range which displays a richer and more detailed palette of colours does it F does it F of course it doesn't a telly's a telly's a telly 0344 499 1000 Late Nights with Ian Lee on Talk Radio Unmissable Late Night Radio with the original king of unconventional conversation Make contact with Ian Lee Late Night Ian Lee on Talk Radio We'll get you talking The um The text page on the Daily Star it's called Text Maniacs It's the weirdest page isn't it? Um it's the weird. It's it's a really weird page, partly because there'll always be a woman in her pants on it, and there's always a woman in their pants on it because someone's texted in saying, "Please, can you do a pic of Fern McCann? Love her sexy body." And it's signed by Admiral, and there's a picture of Fern McCann. And she does she does indeed have a sexy body. That, there, there is no denying that. But why not just Google it? <laughs> why? Why would you text it? Text in? Why not just Google it? Good to see, this is from Duffy, good to see Madness have not forgotten their roots. A real band, real music, real nice. What? Uh. Who's making that noise? Is that me? Oh, it's me. Oh, I got scared then. I thought there was a rat in here. It's made it's a bit of paper that I was unaware of was, was rubbing against another bit of paper. I thought it was a rat in the kitchen. That's UB40. Um... Deluded Derek in Darlington has texted him. If all the world's a stage, then where the hell does the audience sit? Now, that's actually wise. How much do these cost? 25 pence plus network rate. Same as us, so that's good. Um, If a poisonous snake bites his tongue, will he die? says Tony the window cleaner. If he bites his own tongue, 
Um, Steve in Real says, The missus asked if I would like to see ha Hacksaw Ridge. I said, no thanks, I don't like DIY programmes. And listen to this. This is a text that someone sent in. This is, enough. this is a very involved text. Reference J-Star Cockney Rebel. When I was a cub, me and my mates used to collect the empties of lemonade bottles, etc., to get the deposit back on them. We made extra money and kept fit. I can't see the kids these days doing the same thing. For a start, they're too lazy... And secondly, the police would make sure the kids were charged with theft so as to keep the cr the crime clean-up rate higher. Used to get five bob back for soda siphons, if I remember rightly, says the bear. What? what? <laughs> Why would you te text that in? Um... um oh, and this is, this is a nice one from... Um, from uh, asymmetrical so sorry to number two hear of the death of john hurt one of our finest actors for number four decades should have been knighted years before he was thank you sir john r.i.p obviously the letter you have to do the letters r.i.p there it's just weird Weird thing. Well, I don't. Under I mean, obviously they do it because they make a few quid out of it. Fair play to them, but um, it seems a very strange thing. Oh, here we go. And here's a, a picture. Pix appeal. Want to appear in your favourite paper? Send us a pic of you and your mates with celebs. Email the photo with details of who's who in it and where you were. Um, and here's Terry Flanagan, world champion boxer, with David Dickinson. Not that David Dickinson. At the Palace Hotel in Manchester. Jesus. Anyway, the reason we're looking at the start is because there's his programme, Apple Tree Yard. It's, se it's sex, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the new night manager, isn't it? So it's, it's, old, it's older people, um, what we used to call in the 80s, bonking. Isn't it bonking? It's older people bonking. And bonking, I believe, um, in unusual places. I believe um, the uh, lady is um, taken up an alley. I don't know if it's a dark alley. <clears throat> Randy couples hoping to copy steamy scenes. Randy couples. Hey, my name's Randy Couples, and I can tell you how you can get fit like me. I'm Randy Couples. This is my wife, Steamy Scenes. Randy Couples and his wife, Steamy Scenes. Randy Couples, hoping to copy Steamy Scenes from TV's Apple Tree Yard, are in for a shock. The alley in London, from which the racy drama takes its name, has been fitted with CCTV cameras. The area in Mayfair is being redeveloped and is crawling with builders through the week. And it means lusty couples, they've gone from randy to lusty, could be hauled into court on indecency charges. I've never got the thing of doing it outside. I've ne I just, why? Why? Partly because I'm tall, and so standing up is not really an option. Um, 
but why would you, I mean, why? Where's, where's the fun in that? The opening episode saw married scientist Dr. Yvonne Carmichael, Emily Watson, romping in the alley with civil servant Mark Cosley, Ben Chaplin. Fans teased that they would be heading there. So this comes, <laughs> it's one of those stories that comes from one tweet. Fans tease that they will be heading there to recreate the BBC's saucy telly scene. One tweeted, let's find this tweeter's name. I'm definitely going to Apple Tree Yard for a bit of sex in the city. Huh? Um, author Louise Doughty, whose book came out in 2012, warned anyone enthusiastic about risky sex. Risky sex. That, guys, when I was growing up, risky sex meant you didn't use a condom. Yeah, that's right. A little bit of politics there. Sexual politics, guys. Anyone enthusiastic about risky sex might be advised to wait a bit. Not just until the weather has warmed up. I mean, why would you, um, <clears throat> why would you consider that doing it outside would be in any way erotic? I don't get it. It's just, it's just, perverts that's what it is it's perverts and deviants um what's wrong what's wrong with a bed huh hey what's wrong with a good old-fashioned bed yeah you get people that do it on the one do it on the dining room table sweet lord that's unhygienic you've got to eat from that imagine all the you know if you don't clean it up properly imagine i'm not going to say any more but imagine Imagine the... Kath gave me the look there. It's not quite the hand, but it was the look that said, don't don't talk about semen, so I won't. Um, oh, it's time for this. Late Night Ian Lee. Unfiltered Night Talk with the original king of unconventional conversation on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Well, tonight's show, we've uh, tackled the thorny issue of sports in the Talk Radio Sports Special Special. And we've had some cracking guests on. Well done, Catherine. Played an absolute blinder um, and has got some some proper superstars. Coming up, uh, you're going to hear a chat I had with Tani Gray-Thompson, who um, has won, I think she's won like 11 Olympic golds. Uh, It's a ridiculous amount of golds. I mean, ridiculous. Just obscene. Um, And she is... Absolutely delightful and hilarious and follows me on Twitter rather embarrassingly. And um, uh, we kind of she's a sprinter, a Paralympian, but, uh, but a sprinter that generally tends to do the, the shorter distances. But also saying that has won loads of marathons as well. You know what I mean? Uh, but before that, before you get to hear Tanny Gray Thompson, I spoke to John Virgo. John Virgo, absolute legend. Back from the days when snooker players were proper stars, proper celebrities. Did he convince me? We'll have a listen. Nice to talk to you, John. Nice to talk to you. Um, now, listen, uh, the, the, the show tonight is... I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of sport, right? And so yeah. we, I'm doing a sports show tonight because I, I want people... <laughs> I, I know it's stupid, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, I, want, I feel like I'm missing something 
by not okay. being into sport. And I want kind of the, the people that are passionate about their sports and their games to kind yeah. of explain what it is. What, what is it about snooker for you, John, that drew you to it? Well, I think what drew me to it was uh, the fact that there was a snooker club uh, in Salford. That's what drew me to it. And uh, I fell in love with it uh, almost immediately. I always look at snooker as uh, a bit of theatre. Uh, when we play the World Championship at the Crucible Theatre in Sheffield, uh, 950 people, that's all it holds. And the atmosphere it creates uh, is just uh, tremendous. Now, snooker is one of the sports that I, I kind of get more than I, that I get with football, because I grew up, you know, watching it with my with my mum and dad, you know. the, the, mm. the and, and I consider you, John, to come from the era of... Um, like proper snooker players, like Ray Reardon, like Eddie Charlton, like um, Terry Griffiths. Do you, do you know what I mean? Real characters. It, there doesn't seem to be those kind of characters in snooker anymore. Is that me being a bit unfair? Uh, I think it's a little bit unfair, although regarding Terry Griffiths as a character, <laughs> uh, he's one of the slowest players I've ever played against. That's true. But no, I think we've, we've still got the characters. I think uh, what happens now, I mean, in those early days, there was probably about uh, 30-odd professionals, so people were seeing them every w every week or yeah. every tournament, if you like. Yeah. And uh, that's why they became all household names. I mean, when you talk about that era, you, you, you cannot talk about that era without talking about Alex Higgins. Yeah, of course. Who uh, was a bit of a uh, rogue in some ways, but, I mean, he, he produced that bit of magic and that atmosphere that got people on the edge of the seat. Oh, he was a star. You know, he had that, that star. He was completely watchable, wasn't he? Whether you like the sport absolutely. or not. Well, absolutely. And I think from Alex Higgins, we got Jimmy White. Yeah. Who uh, really became popular with the public. And then, of course, since Jimmy, we've had Ronnie O'Sullivan for the last uh, however many years. And he's probably the greatest player that's ever lived. I don't you, think there's any doubt about that. You do get in snooker, you seem to get, I mean, you've mentioned three of them there, what what we could lazily describe as the bad boys. And is that because mm. snooker, as you mentioned, you know, the club in Salford you used to go to, it is yeah. kind of, you know, seen as a, as a backroom, a barroom kind of game. Well, uh, I, I, I like to think it's a sort of ascended above that. But, yeah. but there is always that feeling that it is a working class game and, uh, and the type of places that it is played uh, is in a working class background. But I think that takes nothing away. I mean, the way the players dress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the bow ties and everything else. And as I say, I mean, I enjoy it. Now I'm a commentator, of course. Uh, but I still enjoy the theatre of it. Uh, I've always said that if someone doesn't get a big break in the frame, it's going to go down and be decided on the last six colours. Yeah. And therefore you can get this black ball game, which we had in 1985 when 18 and a half million yeah. viewers were watching BBC Two after midnight. And I think, uh, yeah, I, th I, th I think it's got that... Uh, I don't really want to say gentlemanly approach because I'm not <laughs> saying that the players who play it are. But, but sometimes when I watch the darts, which, you know, I, I like most sports, uh, but when I watch the darts and someone's going to throw for an important double and everybody stand up if you love your darts all singing away. Yeah. Whereas with snooker, you get that hush. And then all of a sudden, if someone plays a good shot or the frame winning ball, you get that 
sort of elation that comes from the audience, and I think that's what adds to the theatre and what adds to the drama of it. That first time you step out in a big tournament, um, and you're right, because it it's like being in a library, it looks like. You know, there is a real respectful silence. Very rarely do you get, you know, um, someone that, you know, the, the what do they call it, the umpire. The umpire, is that right for Snookart? <laughs> The referee. The referee, I'm yeah, sorry. The with a white glove. The fella, yes, the guy in charge. Very rare. I wrote in once and said if it wasn't for that fella with the white gloves putting the balls on the spots, uh, the game would like, uh, <laughs> finish a lot quicker. Very rarely do they have to step in and, and, and quiet the audience. So, the, the, Do you remember the first time in a major tournament you stepped into the arena and what that was like? Yeah, well, I think uh, you get experiences. I mean, for example, if you... Uh, I mean, you only got to talk to Steve Davis. Uh, I mean, when he was would have played Alex Siggins at the Wembley Conference Centre, and considering that Steve is from London, mm. but, and I played Jimmy White in uh, the Wembley Conference Centre in, in the Masters, and just as you're about to hit the ball, you hear someone shout, Miss! Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, that was... That's how... Uh, but but that's that's only an odd one. I yeah. mean, it's not that many. But but you do know when you're playing uh, the likes of Alex Higgins, Jimmy White, and of course Ronnie O'Sullivan today, when they play at the Alexander Palace, everybody knows that uh, they're only rooting for one man, and that's going to be Ronnie. Yeah. Um, you obviously kind of d- developed a, l- a lovely little sideline in um, in doing the trick shots and the impressions. I remember watching that again when I was a kid. You know, how did that how did that kind of aspect come about for you? Well, that maybe substantiates what you're saying. I mean, there were a few characters about that. Yeah. You know, there was Ray Rin, John Spencer, Terry Griffiths, uh, Alex Higgins, and uh, they were all there. I-, I remember getting in trouble once when somebody asked me. Uh, did I have any new impersonations? And uh, I said, well, Steve Davis is winning everything. Everybody's copying him, which was translated <laughs> in a newspaper headline just before the World Championship. But I said, John Virgo says Steve Davis is ruining the game. <laughs> I wasn't saying he was ruining the game. He might have been ruining my act. <laughs> he wasn't ruining the game. So you've got to be careful what you say, you know. But... No, I think the impressions came from the fact that there were quite a few people and quite a few mannerisms where uh, yeah. agreeing with you today. I think most of them now uh, have watched the top players, the ones who've had great success, and uh, they follow that sort of type of technique. But you would like to think that, uh, I mean, I know for a fact, I mean, somebody, uh, I mean, a lot of young Chinese players come yeah, through the game's yeah. very popular in China. And apparently someone was saying that, that nobody uses a rest anymore. They all, if they're right-handed, they play shots left-handed, like Ronnie O'Sullivan. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah, so uh, hopefully there'll be a few uh, characters come out of that era. Do they, still, uh, like to, do they still do that thing, John? I used to love it when they get the the, the, um, the cue with the extension and they'd screw in, like, another foot or... Yeah, they foot. do that, yeah. They never had that in my day. We used did to use the... The long queues. Why we have never thought of an extension, I don't know. <laughs> the first players I ever saw who used uh, these extensions were the Canadian players who played with two-piece queues, whereas right. in England we were basically one-piece queues players, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, of course, Big Break, which... How, how many series did Big Break run for? 
Oh, we did uh, nearly 200 shows. Flipping heck. Yeah, I know, and it was quite amazing the response it got. I yeah, mean, we, it was we, huge. We peaked at 13.9 million on a Saturday night, you know. And that is, you know, X Factor and Strictly would, would love to get figures like that. Yeah, I suppose it's a different world now. Yeah. There's a lot more TV channels, but yeah, I mean, it was... It was excellent, and you, and you didn't depend on people ringing in to, uh, yeah. you know, to pay for the programme. And working with Jim Davidson was uh, was fantastic. Oh, I bet. Uh, I bet. Very funny man, and all the players who came on, Steve Davis and the likes, uh, were absolutely uh, superb. You know, so they got involved, and as I say, the viewing figures were fantastic. Um, you've moved into the twenty first century, John. You've got an mm. app. Do you yeah. know what an app is? <laughs> I, no. <laughs> I thought not. <laughs> You've got a trick shot app. How the flipping hell does that work? Well, uh, <laughs> I have seen it, and someone said it's very good. But I've never <laughs> tried to do it. But there is a load of trick shots, and you can try one of them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, people say the filming of it is is very, very good, but... Uh, I, 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 you've got me bang to right. I'm not sure what an app is. Well, it's John Virgo's official snooker trick shot app. People will know what that means. Very quickly, talking about technology, there's this um, technology called virtual reality where you wear these goggles, John. Oh, yeah. And you yeah, look yeah, like yeah. You're, 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 you're. Have you seen the yeah. footage of um, Ronnie O'Sullivan having a go? I have, yeah. Well, funnily enough, I've been doing some of the voiceovers for that program. Oh, how did you uh, really? And I haven't seen that particular show, but I saw, I saw a clip of it. Where he thinks Ronnie he's leaning said, on the table. Yeah, but Ronnie said, you get so involved, <laughs> he said, you think there's a table there? He put his hand down and fell off the it's floor. It's such a beautiful clip. He leans forward to take a shot that's not there and yeah. just falls flat on his face. Oh, Yeah, but you can imagine doing it, yeah. can't you, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, John, you're keeping busy. You're, you're doing lots of commentary and stuff. As, uh, and the... I'm doing my commentary, yeah. and uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of uh, writing my autobiography. Oh, brilliant. But well, well, When's that coming out? Do you know? Well, hopefully I'll have it finished by March, and then it'll be uh, released sort of October, November. Brilliant. John, when it comes it out... It's going to be about gambling, but uh, I was sort of suggesting <laughs> about my life, so... Uh, why, why, was it be, you why was it going to be about gambling? Were you, were you a bit of a gambler back in the day? Well, I think uh, any snooker player who's brought up in the snooker club, you yeah. know, you, you gamble if it's only who pays for the lights, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's all going to be in there. And there will be a few little gambling stories of uh, some of my colleagues and this, that, and the other. Yeah. Oh, John. So, well, listen. When it comes out, we'd love to get you back on to have a chat about it. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Nice one, mate. All right. Listen. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. It's a real pleasure to ch- chat to you, John. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Ian. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Late night, Ian Lee on air and off the on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Now, listen, Tony. Before we begin, well, no, we are beginning. This is the beginning. I, I, I don't know what to, I'm supposed to call you, and I don't want to do it wrong <laughs> and offend you. So, what? I don't know what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> okay, so the serious title is: you can either call me um, Baroness Grey Thompson or Lady Grey Thompson. But but actually, it's Tanny because the other two sound a bit too um, <laughs> strange. But on on your like Barclay card or your credit card, does it say Baroness or Lady? Yeah. Ah! <laughs> of course it does. And who who could argue with that? That of course it does. That must be a wonderful feeling to know that and have that. Um, 
it, it, it is. I mean, it's, it's all slightly strange. I mean, with, with the title, so all the other titles you get, you know, Sir, Dame, all those things, don't kind of come any responsibility. Being a baroness comes with an, an absolute shed load of responsibility because it's, it's a working title and you have to be in the Lords and you have to yeah. contribute to legislation. So it is quite cool, but, um, <laughs> the, the, yeah, the, the staff here um, have to call us by us. No, we're, we're very formal, so we call all staff Mr. Jones, Mr. Pitt. Yes. And they sort of call us my lord and my lady. Oh, fantastic. What, what, it's like stepping back in time, isn't it? It's wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's quite hard not to say it without sounding like a little Briton, like my lady. But, um, <laughs> no, it, it's, it, it, we have a lot of rules here. So we have rules for what colour carpet guests can stand still on at certain times of day. And it only becomes afternoon when the mace is in the chamber, which is a different time. Every, so there's loads of funny rules. Hang on. Are you joking about the carpet? No, no, absolutely serious. Yeah. So, um, blue carpet at the back of the chamber, guests can't stand still when we're sitting, because that's basically where peers go for a chat and a negotiation, yeah. a bit of a gossip. Oh, okay. Isn't that well, I'm not funny? Selling the place, am I really? No, I, I love it. I love it. That's, anyway, listen, that, that's a conversation for another day. Um, the thing, let me, let's get down to basics, Tanny. I don't like sports, and <laughs> I, I don't, I don't get it. And so we're doing a whole show of sport, and we've got some brilliant, you know, sporting heroes and sporting legends, um, and I'm trying to hope that at the end of the three hours, I, I might have a bit of the passion for sport that, that so many people seem to have. Um, okay. Tell me why you're so passionate about, about your sport. And you're, you're primarily a sprinter, is that right? It's the shorter distances. Yeah, wheelchair racing's a bit strange. We're a bit more like cycling, so you right. can do a bigger range of distances. So I did used to race the marathon, but yeah. basically it comes down to a sprint finish. So I, I really was a sprinter, a bit like um, Mark Cavendish in cycling. You know, yeah. I'm there at the finish, I had a good chance of winning. Um well, I, I, I was an annoyingly competitive child. Um, I kind of quite like training. I used to like kind of pushing my... There's, there's kind of a feeling at the end of the training session where you're not sure whether you're going to throw up or collapse. Yeah. And it feels really good because you know that you've pushed yourself as hard as you can. Um, and it's also it's quite exciting, you know, just being in a pack and, and racing. And it's, it, it's very exciting when you're in there in that moment. I mean, to be honest, the training is mostly quite dull and boring, but... Um, for that moment when you're in a competition, it's, it's an incredible feeling. And if you win, it's amazing. You know, so the biggest yeah. crowd I won in front of was uh, 70 odd thousand people. Wow. That's, that's pretty special. I was when I was when I was like in my teens, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I was I was a sprinter and I did I did sprint the four hundred meters and I I kind of ran for my county and stuff. But as soon as I went from the school level to the county, um, there were people whose names escape me now. There was a guy called Adrian Patrick and there were a couple of other people who, who eventually went on to run for the Olympics. And and suddenly I thought. I'm I'm all right, but I'm nowhere near as good as these guys. And and then suddenly beer came along and girls came along, and it, and I didn't have that what what you obviously have that that desire to push yourself until you feel sick. Yeah, I mean I I wasn't any good. So the first five years I competed, I was totally rubbish. Really? And, and yeah, no, and nobody looked at me and thought I was any good. And then I did make a big jump when I was seventeen. Right. And, and that's because I've been in the club and I was training and I was kind of quite pretty bit dull and boring. Um, but, but for me, it was never a sacrifice. It was always a choice. It was always yeah. what I wanted to do, and it was the most important thing until it, it wasn't the most important thing, and I went off to do something else. So um, it's, it, I, I think it takes a certain sort of person yeah. because you're training 15 times a week, 50 weeks a year, and it's, it's a bit dull, to be honest. For, for this odd moment when you get to compete at World's Paralympics, European, all, all those types of things. Um, 
I say, I'm not, you know, I don't get sports. And when the 2012 Olympics, I wasn't that bothered by it. I must have been pr- probably the only person in the country. I wasn't your that- honesty. I know, I, I, there's no point in lying. I wasn't that bothered. But, 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 my family went away during the, um, the Paralympics. And I thought, oh, do you know what? I might as well see if I can get a ticket for something tomorrow. And, uh, you know, because yeah. it's going to be historical. I might as well go and see something. And, um... See what it feels like. So I think that I got tickets for, it was like weightlifting, um, this is in the Paralympics, it was weightlifting, and there were a couple of other sports, I'm not quite sure what. And I did get, there is an amazing atmosphere, and I saw about five world records being broken in the space of an hour. And there is an amazing atmosphere there, isn't there, at something like that, the Olympics and the Paralympics. Yeah, I mean, and, and especially in London, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly biased, so I, I competed at five games and I've been to another three. Yeah. Working. Um, and, and London was really special, but there is something in that kind of crowd because, you know, it's not part, like football, you know, they, they love you or hate you. Yeah. Um, in, in other sports, you know, like weightlifting or, you know, even things like basketball, you'll get a mix of different nationalities in there supporting. So... It generally is just really positive. And, and London was amazing because, you know, I think it's just so lots of people really proud to wear the Union Jack. And I mean, I, I went to Greco-Roman wrestling at the Olympics. I have not got a clue about Greco-Roman wrestling. Yeah. Like, I still don't. Um, but being in that environment where there was the cheering and the noise is, is brilliant. It's a bit harder if you're kind of a maybe a, a lower league football supporter. Yeah. And there's tw- 25 of you on a cold, wet, sort of miserable Saturday afternoon. It, that, that's a kind of a different kind of passion that carries you through. But, you know, as an athlete, you want people there watching because that's what makes it, because we're all a bit egotistical. <laughs> you know, you want to do it in front of a crowd, really, because it's, it's a bit... I, I mean, I've been there in front of three people and a dog. Yeah. 70,000. And I, to be honest, I prefer 70,000. Yeah. Oh, I bet. And I, it's funny you mentioned the wrestling. A few, uh, years ago, about eight years ago, me and my wife went to Japan and we were kind of looking for things to do. I went, oh, uh, at the, I think it was at the Budokan. There's um, some sumo wrestling. Should we get some tickets? We'll go for an hour. It's on all day. We'll go for an hour. When we get bored, we'll go off and do something else. And we got there about midday and we're sat up in the gods and we stayed there all day because we didn't really have a clue what was going on. But it was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's, and that's, that's when sports at its best. Yeah. You know, you, you find people who explain the rules or you don't, you sit there and don't have a... I mean, uh, to be fair, after the Olympics, I do think I'm an expert on taekwondo. <laughs> yeah. um, I haven't got a clue, to be honest, but, you know, and, and that's what you get sort of every four years. But it's, it's whatever sport you're watching, it's got to excite you. You know, so for me, there are some sports that I love watching. And I probably shouldn't have started saying this, but there are some sports that I, I would go and watch. Well, you know what the question, um, next question is, Tani. What, yeah, what sports I, don't you like? <laughs> no. You've got to say it. Come on. Uh, so my defence is I grew up in Wales, so I grew up watching rugby. Right. I didn't watch a football game until I was 21 because it wasn't really on TV, so I still don't think I particularly understand the rules of football. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I struggle a bit with, with football. I'm really sorry. I know I've just offended an absolute load of people here now. But <laughs> I, love, not... I love cycling. Yeah. I love racing. You know, there's, there's something where two people are, you know, closely contesting something, mm. you know. I, I, I drift between loving boxing and hating boxing. You know, I, I, you know, it's an amazing sport. There's something very primitive brutal. about boxing, and I, you know, ethically, I feel I should be against it. But there is something about seeing two big blokes, you know, smack each other about a bit that's exciting. And and you see, and uh, for me, so one of the Commonwealth Games I went to, I ended up being in a house with the English boxing team, oh, which is a bit surreal. Yeah. And you see those guys train. 
and you know they are just hard you know they they just work really really hard so I've kind of got admiration for anyone who spends a lot of time practicing training whatever it is to for for that match or game or whatever it is you know there is something about seeing the the work ethic that goes on in boxers and they have a really high work ethic yeah um your your medal tally is ridiculously good in the in the paralympics 11 golds four silvers one bronze world championships yeah. five gold four silver three bronze does it ever and i don't mean this uh, in a rude way but th- does is the excitement of winning the 11th gold as exciting as winning the first gold do you kind of get a little bit numb to it or, or are they all <laughs> incredibly special they're, they're all different and i'd have to say you know there's probably couple of gold medals where they wouldn't have been the best races. If I had to pick a, a top 10 list of best races, some of those gold medals wouldn't be on that top 10 list. Yeah. Um, and also, everyone feels really different. But once you start winning, you, you kind of want to do it more. And, and and the way sport works, you know, you, you get to the end of the major championships and you've already got your plan in for your next year or two years. Yeah. It's just conveyor belt. So actually, I didn't really look back at anything I did until I retired. Um, because you're always having to look forward, you're always having to improve, and you know the, the last four years of training for me was to knock knock point knock one of a second off my mm. meters time. So you know, which is like the thickness of a bit of paper. So mm. um, for me, I just wanted to win as many medals as I could, and my husband <laughs> was an athlete as well. Actually, to be honest, what I really wanted to do was beat him. Brilliant, brilliant, good. But I came close. <laughs> He says I didn't, but I, I did. I came really close. You broke thirty world records, though, didn't you? Yeah, they're they're kind of. It, it's a different feeling again, knowing that nobody's gone quicker. Yeah. Um, and and the medals, nobody can take them away from you. They're yours forever. The world records, no. So you know, within a month of me retiring, my two hundred meter world record went. Oh no! Um, and, and then you kind of. I remember that that was the hardest one because you're thinking. I could, I could keep training it. No, I can't keep training it. Like, you know, I, I was absolutely done. Um, the world records are amazing because they're, they're just lovely to know mm. that nobody's gone quicker. And th- there's a couple of the races, especially around the 400 metres, that I remember every single push of the race. Mm. It's almost like you watch it back in your head in slow motion. Wow, you can And they were probably, it. probably my world records, some of those races would be, higher up on the list than maybe um, yeah. some, of, some of the gold medals in terms... Because you're always striving for perfection. I mean, as an athlete, I'm quite needy. You kind of crave information and you want someone to tell you what was good, what was bad. You want to be better all the time. And and so, with a world record, um, there's one I broke when my daughter was six months old and my husband hadn't looked at the clock. At the, we were in Switzerland. And I came off the track and I had this massive grin on my face because I'd gone really quick. And he just said to me, the first four pushes were a bit rubbish. <laughs> And I said, do you, do you see the time? He went, it doesn't matter what your time was. You need to go quick. Like the first segment, you need to go oh, quick. No. I went, did you see the time? And then he looked at the time and he went, yeah, your first four pushes still need to be quicker. <laughs> so, bless him. I, I'm not sure whether I said bless him. I might have said something. Yeah, um, I yeah, bet. When you, when you made the decision to retire, was it an easy decision? Did you go, right, that's it, I've, I've had enough? Or, 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 or was there kind of, you know, how, how, how big a decision is that to make? I think the hardest part is telling friends and family. So my dad thought I should retire straight after what was my last Paralympics in Athens. He, he just said, look, you know, stop faffing about, go and get a real job. Um, and I, I carried on for a couple more years. So for me, I knew you can't go back. So right. I wanted to know that when I stopped, I was 
absolutely done. Yeah. And my last year was hard because I was getting injuries and right. I was sick. And, uh, so, so the hard bit was, was just telling people I was stopping. And then there's this whole process where you re- redefine yourself because, I mean, I still get people saying, oh, you're the athlete, aren't you? You go, yeah, I retired a little while ago now, though. So, yeah, um, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, so the first time before Christmas, someone stopped me and said, you're that parliamentarian, aren't you? And I was like, yes! <laughs> and then she told me she thought I was an idiot. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's, that, it's it's how you define yourself. So I always had, like, lots of friends outside sport. You know, some of my friends hated watching sport. Like my, my best mate hasn't got a clue about sport at all. Yeah. And, and that's kind of really nice because I'm just tanny. I'm not this ex-athlete or anything. So for me, it, it's, it's always about just being a bit sensible because being an athlete is just a small part of who you are as a person um tanny i, I really appreciate you, you, your time this evening and i i i i don't follow many people on twitter because i find twitter so obnoxious but i do kind of look at people's twitter feeds and i i i think you're very funny on twitter and i like the fact that you say whatever you want to say and um um you know i, I find you very entertaining on there and uh, I, I, you. you've i, I I'm trying to think. Do, do, do I like sports anymore? I, just, <laughs> I don't think so. I, I can quite. I quite enjoy. I do. I do because I used to just sprint the two hundred and four hundred. I quite enjoy. If that's on the telly, I'll I'll sit and I'll watch it. But um, I think that's as far as it goes. Okay. I'm sorry I couldn't convince you. <laughs> it's been really nice to talk to you, though. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye bye. Talk radio. For the UK. Pick up your phone and talk radio. We'll get you talking. 